2: No purchase necessary.
1: VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Welcome to the Managing Midget Podcast. This is your host, Keon Sobani. It is Sunday, June 14th. We finish all the games in La Liga today. We are here for a three-parter. Part one, myself, Matt Wiltsy, and Omar when we break down the game that just transpired against Abar. Part two is Castilla Corner. These guys are just churning out content like crazy. I don't even know what they're talking about, but they just uh, sent me another file to upload on today's show. And uh, I think they've succeeded the popularity of Castilla itself. They've just become this entity that exists, that is actually somehow more important than Castilla. So Castilla Corner is part two. Part three is Journalism Corner, where I address your journalism questions. And today's topic is about why reporters ask the questions they do in press conferences and why you should or shouldn't be frustrated with it and why it works the way it does and why it's going to change eventually. Um, as always, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. All the bonus content coming up, including the Valencia post-game show on Thursday, plus the loan tracker on Tuesday, um, is all on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. This is your only free show of the week. It's on this RSS feed. Um, as a reminder, we're going to start talking about this again. We kind of stopped talking about it during COVID-19 pandemic, which is still going on by the way. Um, but now that the games are resuming, we're going to just kind of remind you guys that once we hit 1000 patrons, we're doing a bunch of giveaways, including a signed Cristiano Ronaldo Real Madrid jersey, which we're giving away. So make sure you're a patron over at patreon.com slash managing Madrid. And beyond this show, um, post-game coverage is plenty on the site, player ratings, post-game quotes, my immediate reaction, Um, we're going to have a tactical review tomorrow, plus a bunch of tactical pieces in the coming days and then previews for the Valencia game, so make sure you go and check it out on the website, and without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast, let's go.
2: Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog, wonderful lads, they do a great job there, and Worth reading about that man there, <laughs> so we better use the rest of the numbers of you.
3: All right, welcome to part one of the Managing Madrid podcast where we are recording our very first Real Madrid postgame show since early March when the team lost to Real Betis. And joining me, Keon Sobani, to go through an understandably weird game is Matt Wilty and Om Arvin. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Hey, Keon. I'm doing
4: well. I mean, hey, we we cannot complain at this point. We finally had uh, football back. We finally had Real Madrid back. A good win. Um, So now I'm excited to talk with you
3: guys. Om. Did you enjoy yeah, – I know I, you've been kind of complaining a bit, like, the quality <laughs> or, like, the excitement level of, of football coming back. But did this one hit you at all? Like, did this one hit you in the feels?
5: Yeah, I will say this one lifted my spirits. Like, I – the Bundesliga coming back and all of that did absolutely nothing for me. Okay. Um, you know, we we talked about before how, like, you know, our minds are elsewhere, especially mine in terms of, like, the protests, what's happening with the coronavirus. Like, it just – Football just didn't feel very important. Like, I I tried watching games. I was on that one podcast with you to talk about Ashraf, and, like, I just emotionally, I just wasn't very engaged. Like, I paid attention like I normally did, but I just was having no fun at all, which is definitely, you know, it's not something that happens when I'm watching football, but this one was a little different, you know, and, you know, kind of in a time where, like, I feel football is trivial, I should be focusing on other things, um, you know it's and my fandom is really kind of tested. It's good to see that Real Madrid can you know hit me different. It can still do that, um like it's done, you know, like you know whatever seven, eight years ago I started following this team, so yeah, that was a good feeling.
3: well, it was interesting, kind of just to see i mean we all we all wanted to know where this team's where this team was mentally, where this team was physically. Um, all we really had to go by was short video clips um, from training and and just reports and but to actually see a game and see how the players do on the field is a totally different story and I think well for myself anyway I kind of went into this a little bit optimistic in that you know we've talked about it to death um, in the build-up to this game that Real Madrid have an infinite amount of resources compared to these smaller clubs like Bar, who was a team, by the way, who didn't, who was one of the teams initially who didn't want to come back, um, and and express concern about like why are we playing football in the pandemic? And ultimately, the answer is uh, one word and it's money. No matter how you twist it and how you want to look at it, that's that's the reason. But um, so they were a bit skeptical about coming back, and understandably so. And I think the first half. While I didn't. I didn't expect Real Madrid to go up three uh, nil. Even after watching Barcelona go up big against Mallorca, I still was. I still wasn't in the mindset that Real Madrid would would kind of follow suit. But they did. They went up three nil. Um, and the first half, in terms of physical levels and the contrast between Real Madrid and Bar, it went about the the way I thought it was. Um, I think it was. I was speaking to Lucas about this in the mailbag earlier. That you know, or maybe it was Matt. I don't know. All podcasts are one. All days are one. Nothing means anything anymore. But I think it was I think it was Matt that I mentioned that in the NBA lockout year, one of the things after everyone came back, um, one of the things that was apparent is that the older teams found it a little bit difficult to rediscover their oomph and get their mojo going, and the younger up and coming teams kind of just just went through and steamrolled some of these older teams and it was a bit easier for them with the younger legs. So I thought all of that maybe just taking that small sample size into consideration. You look at someone who was in the lineup today, Rodrigo for example, and the subs that are coming off the bench, Vinicius. Um, it just felt like physically there was a clear edge for Real Madrid um, and and I thought that was apparent in the first half. Now the second half completely I think shocked us all. I'm not sure what we were watching and it was very weird to see that. Um, but very weird game. Let's talk about all of it. But Matt, what what were your thoughts heading into halftime? More or less, was it what you expected, or were you surprised?
4: I was surprised, and I actually, Ken, I actually thought about that comment you said um, regarding kind of older NBA players because I was thinking to myself, "Wow, I mean, it, look at Luka Modric. He he looked great in that first half. Ramos looked great. Marcelo—that was the best we've seen him in a while. I mean, kind of all the older older heads were." some of the best performers in that first half. So I was was really pleasantly surprised by that. Um, And I think some of the football we saw was was good. It was flat out good. It was an enjoyable first half. Um, I mean, you look at all the goals. I think Hazard kind of has an influence in every single one of those goals. And I think you noticed what his impact was today. And it was so refreshing to see him just healthy and fit and, getting the job done, and I know we'll go more into him, but um, I just think having him there and having him kind of play a little bit, what I noticed was he occupied more central positions today, and he was a little bit in the half space. Even on the first goal, Hazard picks it up in the middle of the field, turns and runs at the defense, and once he dishes it off, he goes and recycles his run and tries to reconnect with Benzema, and then the ball eventually filters out to Cruz. But, I mean, it all starts with him, and I liked him getting into these more central positions rather than just being glued to the wing and uh, having to do a lot of defensive work like we've seen in the past.
3: I Like Hazard's position and also the position of everyone in the attack was interesting to me because on the surface, when you looked at the th- scoreline that was 3-0 at halftime, um, it felt comfortable, but it also didn't feel like a 3-0 game in the sense that they actually didn't do much and the, the fact that they didn't do anything much in the first half and were up by three goals was also, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it actually didn't get any better in the second half. It actually got worse as we all saw. So really they did most of their damage, if not all of their damage in the first half, but even the first half, they didn't do much apart from three sequences where they did everything right and Avar also broke down. Um, and again... And it seems like Benzema was also offside in the build-up to the first goal. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm st- I've still only seen one replay. Um, but what was interesting also was the positioning that no one really sustained their presence in the final third much. Um, even Hazard, you know, maybe not down the flanks much, but um, he was he was not playing that high up the pitch. Benzema, a lot of his touches were just dropping really, really deep, almost to like gross levels of dropping deep and helping with some press resistances. Abar was pressing pretty well throughout the game, I thought. Um, something they did better than that game in November, which they got blown away in. And But defensively, they also broke down in key moments. Um, yeah, we'll go through down through, I think, every goal and all the vital plays. But only from a tactical perspective, what is what did you see in that first half?
5: Um. I think kind of what you'd expect which is not much because this is very much like there's the element we, you you were talking about beforehand about how Real Madrid definitely has the physical edge and I to me like I was surprised to see just how big that was like I expected it but to really see it play out in the way it did really told me okay this is kind of, this kind of tells you the difference between, like, the haves and have-nots in La Liga, right? Like, the ability to have your own personal fully stacked gym versus guys who, you know, don't even have, a, like, a backyard to run and As you, as you told me, Diego Forlan mentioned, um, that was huge, and I think that was kind of the primary difference. Tactically, it just seemed like, you know, Real Madrid were just kind of, Doing what they do in this type of in this time of circumstance, which is which is holding onto the ball, you know, being very patient with it, just trying to work it around and calmly work their way into the final third, and you know we we didn't do it that well in terms of penetrating the final third that often, um, which which is not a surprise to me. There for for all of our physical edge that. You know, we were talking about, we were still pretty rusty technically. Again, um, we're talking about a three month gap, which, which when I, when I actually went and like checked the days, it surprised me because I I just kept thinking two months, two months. And I realized it's, it's three, it's over three months, right? Football ended March 8th for us and now it's June 14th. Um, And so that's an entire um, summer, right? It's almost like sports ended and we've entered a new season. So like, you know, you could see it like a lot in, you know, just in pros' passing, he had, for him, what is a very pedestrian, 85.3% passing accuracy, right? Like, we're used to 91, 92, 93, 94. He, he, had, he had a couple of weird misplaced passes. And, you know, when 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 that's happening to Kroos, it's kind of symptomatic, I think, of the entire team's rustiness, though, was different from player to player, right? Like, Matt was talking about Modric. Marcelo looked very sharp in the first half. And so I think that affected, you know, just what we were trying to do, which is kind of our general game plan, right? Like, patient possession play. You know, short passing through like through the middle, switch it out wide, try to work our way up the flanks. And I, I think really the only for one time it it really worked um was was for the first goal very early on, where we work it down to the left, Benzema kind of drifts out there, gets a bit of luck kind of trying to shift it around in the box, eventually plays it back, it finds Kroos, and then the long shot goes in. And then the other two goals were, you know, clinical counterattacks. And I think I think the counterattacks looking as good as they did. I think is the main positive, um, right? It's not. It's obviously not something that like Zidane sits down in every counterattacking instance. He says this is what you do here, here, and there. But it, but it shows a good synergy, you know, still existing between the players, right? It's in this three-month gap, you know, sure there's rustiness, but the chemistry is still very strong. And the way we were able to just, you know, fluidly put together some of those moves, you know, as Matt was saying, it was it was very nice to watch. And that that was pretty encouraging because that that kind of I think that assesses mental sharpness. What the technical sharpness will get there. I think it's impossible for that to be there instantly, but for us to have identified those instances and just quickly strung together passes and worked with each other to get ourselves in the final third, that's what won us the game. And I think that a good is a good indication of where we were mentally. And then in the second half our mental sharpness just went away completely, right? We three 0 up, we were just like whatever and you know, a bar kind of hit back. Um, And yeah, I, you know, I've gone on a fair bit here. I'll just end by saying, you know, it makes it harder to assess where we are tactically right now when a bar, you know, didn't do normal a bar things, right? Like their pressing intensity has dropped off quite a bit this season compared to last in terms of, you know, PPDA. But even still first half was mostly this really super passive medium block that you know, it it was pretty bad. It, it didn't look like you know they 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 didn't know what they were trying to achieve, and it was really easy to split through. Like you know, with Casemiro even stepping up into the middle and playing passes through there. The second half they pressed a bit more. We looked kind of out of it, and you know, it it kind of just went a bit chaotic. Um, but yeah, just probably not the not not the best game to kind of like you know pick it apart and be super critical tactically, considering the circumstances and you know. It's our first game
4: back in over three months. Well, I would say this. I mean, I agree I agree with that, Owen. And I think on the offensive end, there, there's not too much to pick apart. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, um, I was actually surprised at how deep Real Madrid defended. Uh, if you take a look at that second goal, and and for the most part, at least for most of the first half, and in the second half, it got a little bit more disorganized. But they were mostly defending in a 4-5-1 or a 4-1-4-1 uh, when they were mm-hmm. pressing. And but if you look at when they're sitting deep on the second goal, Madrid are sitting deep. They're in a four-five-one, really compact. So even Benzema was behind the center circle, uh, and then the the back four was just above the the box, outside of the box. So that's a really compact space, and they were just letting Ibar pass it around. And then as soon as Ibar tried to make kind of a one more little riskier pass, Ramos gobbled it up, and then they quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, countered attacking is because Ibar had so many men forward, too. I was surprised at how many men they were committing forward. If you look at that sequence, they had four attackers all along Real Madrid's back line. Um, so, yes, if Ramos missed that pass, they probably would have been in. But um, he, he made a smart interception, and then Real Madrid were through. But I was just taken aback by how deep the team were. And even you look at two guys like Hazard and Rodrigo, I mean, they, they did – Pretty especially Rodrigo did a lot of defensive work in that in that first half and had to track back and were really almost man marking the fullbacks.
5: So in terms of I I think in terms of like tactical discussion, this gets interesting because I, I don't know if you guys saw this, but like very early on when we were talking about bringing football back, even before the Bundesliga came back into action, there was some talk about you know teams are going to have to adjust how they play you know one for the obvious reason in the beginning players just aren't going to be as fit so if you ask them to go out with this high press like it's you know it's stupid right they're going to gas themselves out in the first 20 minutes and it's just it's just not going to work the same way it would you know back in January but also the simple fact that right, like you know, coronavirus is still there. They have the six feet rule. You know, when the players are sitting in the stands, right? We saw they, we got a good image of Gareth Bale, and I think it was was it Vinicius sitting, you know, six feet apart from each other with masks on, right? Like there was a discussion about teams are just not going to, like, they're, they're going to have to not press as much because that's going to increase, like, one-to-one contact between players, you know, and, you know, with, with, like, you know, the droplets, it increases, like, the danger of droplets, you know, moving from one player to another. Now, I don't know whether that creates a substantial difference between that and then your defending team and you have to tackle them anyway, and there's one-to-one contact there, but that may be part of a reason that, like, from the games I've seen so far... You know, in the comeback in La Liga, the pressing hasn't been as intense. You know, that might be part of the reason along with the fitness. And I think, you know, whether it's one or the other, I think that definitely affected the way Bar played and the way Real Madrid played. So bar obviously, you know, maybe fitness was a larger consideration for them, given what we saw in the first half. So, you know, any question of pressing was really just down to the second half where they had nothing to lose, literally, and you know, there's, they're just like, go for it. Right. Like, you know, we're out of this game. Let's see what we can get. Whereas for Real Madrid's instance, possibly it was a fitness issue, but I wonder if they're having those discussions like Zidane is thinking for the long term. maybe I have to rethink some of this pressing approach, right? It's just not going to work. You know, maybe I'm getting some medical advice saying like, let's try to limit the limit that as much as possible, knowing that, okay, you got to do what you got to do. But in like against a bar, you know, maybe it's not necessary and let's just defend deeper. Um, whether that's the case or not, I don't know because I only remember that existing in preliminary discussions where leagues were considering making rules on that. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was, like, behind some of the thinking and, like, seeing how pressing tactics, like, evolve as teams get fitter and fitter and seeing whether it, like, resumes back to, like, that same level of intensity we saw before, before like, football was cut off. I think I think that'll be really interesting.
3: I. When I was watching it I actually felt like A bar was pressing pretty well from start to finish. But um I mean football ref it's a bit too early, football reference hasn't released any pressure numbers from this game yet, so I'd be curious to know what the numbers say. But the eye test told me that they um it seemed like they were pressing well in the first half. Again, uh three instances where I think they really broke down for sure, but the second half, I think they, whether it was adrenaline or what, because I, I can't really explain why the second half, A-bar just looks so much better than Real Madrid. And, and part of it probably was just the mental aspect of it. Maybe it felt like a pickup game, and maybe it, they were just so in the clear that they just felt like the intensity just naturally dropped, and they couldn't regain it for whatever reason. Um, but one thing that I, I, I noted when I was looking in the build-up to this game that I actually, because we all know that A-bar, there was that stats bomb. Paper and Abar were the most pressing, aggressive pressing team in Europe, and they've dropped off since then a little bit. But one of the misconceptions I had that I thought that they just kind of stopped being aggressive with their press, and it turns out like I think they're just less efficient, and maybe they, their aggression is still there because if you look at their defensive pressure numbers, they're still the first, um, but it's their PPDA that has decrease and that's mm-hmm. passes for defensive action so they're still pressing like maniacs but they're just not as efficient with it they're allowing more passes in between those defensive sequences and I wonder um, I wonder if that has some to do with they just maybe the scouting reports out now because like before when they first broke up no one really knew anything about it It was the first time in the prim- in the in the primera small team low budget they kind of I think surprised and took everybody um, by surprise. And I you know it wasn't that long ago, it seems like a long time ago, but they beat Ray after three nothing when Solari was the coach there at Inipurua, and it was just like impossible for Re just to do anything in that game, and then you kind of fast over a year later, and Zidane goes into that same game and wins four four nothing, and then um three one today but i don't so i don't I don't know it is hard for me though maybe you guys have a better answer uh, but I'm not sure if anyone can really answer. What happened in the second half, other than complacency? Like, we can, I guess, talk about the physical shortcomings. Zidane made all five subs, one of them at halftime uh, because of injury. Danny Carvajal took a knock, and Ferland Mendy went to right back. Uh, in the 60th minute, both Hazard and Ramos came off. They had ice uh, on their legs, which I think is more of a precautionary thing. And ice, people sometimes freak out when they see ice on, on limbs. But that's just really normal stuff that athletes do, which is they put ice on everything after they're done. So I don't think I don't want to read too much into it. Um, but, you know, I guess, do you guys have a better explanation of what happened in the second half better than I do? Because I'm not sure if I can really put it into words. I just felt like maybe it was just more of a complacency thing that they were up 3-0 and there were no fans to put pressure on them.
4: Yeah, I think, I mean, mentally, you can't help it when you're 3-0 up and you're going into mm-hmm. the break and then you come back out and you kind of – already revert to that cruise control. And with the game, with you know that Valencia is coming up on Thursday and you know you don't want to get injured, so you, you maybe kind of shift back another gear and hold out. But I think what happened probably was Mendelebar probably just gave all the Ibar players just an earful at halftime. And so they came out revved up and looking to at least get one back on the board or try and make a game or at least like win the second half because uh, oftentimes when you're losing that badly after a first half, a manager will tell you, okay, well, now it's a clean slate. Here's the second half. You can win the second half. Um, and so that's probably what they came out to do, and they made a couple subs. I thought when Pedro Leon came on uh, and Sergei Enrique, when they came on, they were both made, made a big difference and kind of were trying to exploit the space. Uh, Pedro Leon was, at least, trying to exploit the space behind Marcelo. And so I think all those things probably mesh together to – Make that second half look as poor as it did, because oh man, it, that was tough. view. and I think I think we're all going to walk away feeling good about the first half, but the second half was just—I uh, mean, they really, they really kind of just let it go to waste.
3: Let's talk about the goals. You guys mentioned um, the goals. I mean, the Crow slingshot was pretty incredible, but. I find this uh, out of all of them, maybe possibly the least interesting, even though it was probably the most aesthetically breathtaking to the way he shot that. But the second one, the Ramos rushes into the box, Matt, you broke it down, but I also want to add just in conjunction to what you said, because you mentioned, you know, Ramos Ramos gets that, picks up that pass, he, then he, then he A bar is woefully out of position. They have a bunch of players up the field. The other thing that I think that just really pierced them was that Ramos. Just sprints into the box i i I feel like ninety seven percent of defenders in that position they just make that vertical pass and then just drop back in their defensive line. Mm-hmm. Ramos just sprints into the box, which is just crazy, and I remember writing about this a couple weeks ago that like Ramos doing that is no longer a thing that the team does like in the ninety fifth minute when they're desperately in search of a goal like he's doing that like when the game starts and and not even like in, in like very normal offensive sets of just slow possession-based build-up. But he, in this one, it was like more of a counter-attack or a transition play. He runs into the box, and that just throws Eber out of whack even further. I, I wonder how you guys feel about this, because there's part of me that when this was happening in the last few months that kind of questioned the idea of, like, I feel like maybe there is a different path to goal, and if we're relying on this, it, it seems kind of weird for a team as talented as Real Madrid. At the same time, it's so hard to defend because I also feel like he's maybe more dangerous than most center forwards in the world who are trying to get on the end of crosses because he's just such a behemoth and he's so strong and he's so quick to get to those spots. that is actually, It's literally a weapon that I feel like it would be a shame not to exploit it too.
5: Um, I, I, I like it when it's happening in very choice instances and this depends a lot on Sergio Ramos's decision making like in, in that counter attacking instance i think it was brilliant from start to finish Ramos's mm-hmm. ability to anticipate that pass and intercept it right like one of the things that he's the best in the world at doing to step out to cut pass and range them launching it i mean you can, you could instantly see from 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 his position how Abar completely destabilized and there's going to be numerical advantage bursting forward and and so, like, absolutely, Ramos makes the correct decision there. Um, th- there is high risk to that, right? Because we know Real Madrid, um, not the greatest at dealing with counterattacks in, structurally, right? It, it kind of falls down to individuals like Valverde and Casemiro. And so, like, you know, in, there's certain instances Ramos pulls it up, pulls it off and we lose the ball and the team counters, counters straight back. And we're like, well, where's Sergio Ramos? You know, so it's about... It's about Ramos balancing that risk reward and making the right decision. So, you know, against, I, I, it would also depend on, t- against like the particular opponents we're playing, right? If we're playing against teams that we, we feel don't have the greatest transition threat, it makes more sense for Ramos to do this again and again. Um, and the reason I'm endorsing this at all is because we know we have a goal scoring problem in the sense that we've been super reliant on Kareem Benzema. And when he kind of fell off, you know, in his goal scoring efficiency and his XG numbers dropped a bit, you know, post January and onwards, our goals started to dry up, and that's when the results started to get a bit iffy. So it it is something that adds value, but I I don't think it's something that could scale up. If you know what I'm saying, right? Like I don't think Ramos can do this and do this on every possession because then the risk reward balance just skews way way too much towards risk. But if he does this, like once every two, three matches in particular instances like this where clearly he's going to unbalance the defense and it's a high percentage like possession chain on a counterattack. Absolutely, I think it's the right thing to do and I think like the, the chances of us scoring with him doing that outweigh the chances of us conceding if we lose the ball and go on a counterattack. So, yeah, I'm for it. I think I think it's a clever little adjustment. I don't think it's this massive game-changer, but it adds up over time and maybe gives us like four, or five, six extra goals at the end of the season.
4: And I think I, I think it has, to your point, Om, it has to be calculated, though, because yeah. Yeah. if Ramos just decides to, and we know he can do this sometimes, to be a little bit rash and just push this out like multiple times per game. I mean, Kian, you've made the point. This is well-documented now. This isn't just a random thing. This is a tactic. I mean, Zidane and Ramos have decided to u- utilize his strength in the box and his aerial abilities. And so this is a clear tactic to try and make up for some of the goals. And I think, uh, I mean, other teams are obviously going to scout that they're going to exploit that if they can. So Ramos needs to make sure that he, it's very calculated when he does that. Cause if he goes bombing forward, whenever he can, then it's, Real Madrid will be explo- exploited.
5: Right, and if it's like versus Bar- Barcelona, I just, no, don't do it, right? Because yeah. if all that, all that has to happen is we lose, you play it up to Messi, Messi looks up, sees that open spot, and that's it. Yeah. But against Abar in this instance, he made the right decision. So yeah, going forward, um, yeah, we'll see. I think Ramos has done it pretty well this season, but... There's this I, I more and more I trust Ramos' decision making. I have to say, as he's gotten older, but that that like rash gene or whatever he has in him, it's never it's never fully gone away. And so that makes me nervous, right? Like I okay. I think he'll get it at this point nine times out of ten, but this is more of an instance where like ninety nine point nine percent of the time your decision making needs to be spot on and there's just some moments where Ramos is like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go for it and I don't care what happens.
3: And certainly, uh, I think in in most cases where he goes, the team is pretty well covered if if they lose the ball. But there were, you know, against Betis, it was a bit of a problem too because uh, sometimes it's not even just dependent on his decision making. Because if he makes that run, and like you saw it against Betis, where the cross was just like overhit to him from Marcelo, and then he's just not getting on the end of it, no matter how good his run is. Uh, especially when Valverde is not on the pitch to help Casemiro, makes me a little bit more nervous. But, um. On the third goal, I mean, it goes without saying the way Benzema and Hazard connected in that moment, the vertical passing, the moving off the ball. One thing I, I think is important to note here is that Hazard shoots, and in that moment, um, it's saved, and bar can't really deal with the rebound. It kind of it eventually falls to Marcelo, who, who scores and. I feel like that's why we we've tried to put emphasis on the importance of shot generating. That a lot of people just they kind of had a hard time with with us trying to um, emphasize so much. When Ronaldo left, we needed somebody to generate shots. Like and and people would question and be like, what what do, why do shots matter? Goals matter. Well, shots matter because of the exact reason you just saw. Because of the chaos it brings in the rebound that falls to Marcelo, And you need someone to. To be able to put it on his shoulders to create shots like Ronaldo, in his peak, was like doing seven shots a game. Now do the math and like how much that generates, not only on his own but also leading to other goals. So that I think was worth pointing out. But on the third goal, what else? What else did you guys want to want to just just
5: a really quick addition to what you were saying about the rebounds? Um, You know, American soccer analysis, like Kian, I sent you like. they did this like a couple months ago, I think maybe it was a month ago, times, time's just a blur. Um, they like did their framework for like to to assess, basically give you a goal, goals added value for whatever action you did on ball on the pitch, no matter what it was. What, like if it's a pass, even if it was like a tackle, all of that, right? And for shooting, they they like statistically found that shooting had enough of a value of rebounding – that, like, they they had to add rebounding as part of, like, an additive category for shooting when it came to the possession value framework Um, or goals added um, framework. So, yeah, I just wanted to quickly Mm. add that so that, like, what you're saying makes sense, but it also has a basis in, like, rigorous statistical analysis now. So, you know, it's not just something like you're theorizing. Like, you know, we know it. Does it have, like, drastic like insane value, which we should take 40 shots a game? Not necessarily, but as we saw in this game and as we know statistically it does have some value and you know, it,
4: it, it bears out statistically. Well, and an underrated aspect of that goal and something that also adds value is um, Rodrigo pressuring the Ibar defense and hounding uh, that rebound. Mm -hmm. If if he didn't, if he didn't do that, that goal never would have materialized. So uh, I think we can't forget that. I mean, if you need to have, and that's something I think back to Van history and Raul, they did, this is like their bread and butter. They never switched off inside the box. So if ever there was a rebound, they were on top of it. They needed to pressure defenders, they were on top of it. Um, they were always sniffing something out, and that's if you don't if you don't switch off in those moments, then that's what results. I mean the ball then I bar scrambling, they're just trying to get rid of it. Rodrigo's pressing him, and so it's it filters out to Marcelo and he just smashes it. But that doesn't happen if Rodrigo doesn't make that play. But the other thing I wanted to mention too on this goal was um, Uh, Well, actually, two goals. Two of the goals stem from Hazard being on the right flank. Um, I I liked seeing him there. I mean, obviously, that could be an option moving forward. If you want Vinicius and Hazard to coexist, you could play Vinicius on the left um, and Hazard on the right. What what did you guys make of that?
3: I agree with that assessment, and that's one thing that I've said from the beginning in that, when people ask, like you know, if you were to fit all these players in, where would you put everybody? And the most natural player who who could drift that way is Hazard, because you've seen it with Chelsea a lot. Not that he would start on the right wing, but he he is often popping up in central right right hand channels. He can kind of play that roaming role um, and be effective from different different parts of the pitch. Um, he's really young, but Vinicius still hasn't kind of shown that flexibility yet. But Hazard can do it. Um, so I, I do, I do agree with that. Yeah, in terms of like if you were to kind of fit Vinicius and Hazard together, the most optimal solution would have been to to do it that way.
5: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think because I that hasn't that hasn't happened right when they play together, we haven't seen a Hazard go to the right like nearly as often as like the kind of scenario we're talking about, right? But if we're thinking about situation where that might be viable, where that would be, we'd actually want to do that. I mean, I'm mainly thinking c- scenarios where we want to counterattack, right? Because, you know, that you do lose a little bit of, you know, the Hazard's threat when you put him on the right in terms of like cutting inside to combine and stuff like that. So in terms of like trying to break a team down, you know, you'd probably you'd probably just bench Vinicius, right, and play Hazard on the right and play mm-hmm. someone else on the, you know, maybe a or Rodrigo on the right. But in terms of a counterattacking system, I. I don't think there's much of a difference between Hazard playing the left and on the right, as we saw in some of these sequences, whereas very clearly we see Vinicius is much more comfortable on the left. So like, you know, I d I don't know, maybe, you know, you know, what whatever we're gonna do with the Champions League, right? If, if if you know, if whenever we get that and we need to play versus City or going forward in in, in other competitions or we decide we want to approach this way versus Barcelona, maybe that's maybe that's something to think about. Um yeah, but Otherwise, I think it's yeah it's it's more of like a theoretical like if we were to put them together, but in most instances, I think there's like a better solution.
3: Let's talk about lineups, and then there's so many other things we could jump into after that, but um the obviously the curveball here was Rodrigo in that it kind of is a curveball kind of isn't because we kind of knew we generally know who the quote unquote locks are, and one of the continuous variables is always that third attacking slot. Is it Isco? Is it Lucas Vasquez, who wasn't in the team today? Is it it Vinicius? Is it Rodrigo? So what we kind of knew was one of those people, and it ended up being Rodrigo. And, you know, youth, um, young legs. Zidane sees things in training we obviously don't see. So it's it's also not that surprising, too. Um, But he made all five subs. That still wasn't enough for Isco, James, and Asensio to get in. Now, maybe one of them gets in if... Zidane doesn't have to burn that Karva Khassab at halftime. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Fede just gets in towards the end. I thought thought you could have used someone like Fede really ASAP after just seeing how that second second half was unfolding and seeing the energy levels drop. And Fede is always that one you can rely on to give a little bit of juice in the midfield. Um, How much did you read into this? To me... I was kind of amused about about some of the outrage I saw at the starting lineup, like people getting angry over where is Fede. Um well, that was the big one, um, that people were complaining about that Fede wasn't there. And I also you know, just looking at all of the football that's come back since quarantine in the Bundesliga and La Liga so far, like almost no team is starting with their starting eleven that we we see on paper. It's just there's too many variables right now, there's too many Hints of injury. I mean, Dortmund missing so many key players every game. Holland missing time. Um, Barcelona missing defenders. Like it's just it to me was kind of expected, and we're just going to see a little bit of everybody until things kind of get on quote unquote normal. But how did you guys feel with the lineup and the subs and kind of maybe the 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 immediate fate of certain players?
4: I mean, I was I was definitely surprised by uh, the Rodrigo start but I, I didn't hate it at all I liked it um, in terms of his overall performance though I thought it left I didn't think he played poorly I just didn't think he really had that much of an impact and I I felt like he was doing more defensive work than he probably would have wanted um, but I also felt like he was probably one of the only players in that first half who wasn't Quite on the same wavelength, at least in the attacking phase and the attacking buildup, wasn't quite on the same wavelength of the rest of his team teammates. So, um, and I, I don't know if that what what was the root cause of that, but it just it just felt like that to me. Uh, so I don't know if he did enough to justify his starting position, but I mean when Gareth Bale came on, he certainly didn't do anything better. Uh, I think. I, I wrote about my player ratings. He just didn't bring any. He didn't have any shots and any dribbles. Only had seven passes, fourteen touches. I mean, he was he was a ghost once again. Um, but I, I I'm usually I tweeted this out before the game. I'm usually a little wary of the Cruz modrich Casemiro midfield in today's day and age in 2020. But I think today they looked really good, um, especially Modrich. I, I mentioned it earlier in the pod. I thought he looked really good in that first half. Um, and things were just clicking really well for the team. But I wanted to know who you guys thought were kind of some of the standouts in this game. Oof.
3: Um, I think Hazard. I, I, when I saw Hazard starting to kind of dribble and do his shoulder feints and things and being involved in the goals, I, 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 I missed seeing that. That was, that was really nice to see. Um, I don't, to be clear, I, and this is again this is understanding for this to happen, but to me this was not a not a type of Ryamja performance that I really remember fondly, and I don't think it was that great. And <laughs> to reiterate like three 0 and three three at halftime and three one overall, even like just to to illustrate how how little Ryamja did offensively, they had seven shots in total. Um and only Two of those actually came in the second half. Two shots in the second half. Just take note of that. And they weren't high quality chances. And you'd think like sometimes in games like this where Rams are not creating many chances, maybe they're crossing a lot. They only they only had seven crosses, I think it was. Um, that's when I remember checking after the game. I don't I don't think it was more than that. So there wasn't a huge standout to me. Um, but I did so Hazard was one, but I actually like Casemiro in this game. I liked his vertical passing. I liked his interceptions in the first half. I like that he, the, his passing in degree of difficulty situations, like surprises me time and time again. Obviously, he had like one or two Casemiro moments where he also just gives it away when you're like, what are you doing? But I thought he was pretty good. Um, Benzema generally quiet, but you know, dropped deep and did some things, was obviously involved in, in the third goal. Um,. Kroos just for the sheer fact that he scored and also um he had this one touch in the first half where I don't know if you guys remember this where Modric kind of clears it and the ball came at him and it was a difficult ball to control but he like kinda of chests it and then he just puts his laces through a volley and makes this beautiful diagonal long through pass to Rodrigo was but I uh, was just over hit, but it was so pretty to watch. Um I don't know. There were like moments like that that stood out to me. I don't know if I have any um, player that stood out apart from those. Matt, in your in your uh, player ratings piece, I think your your main standout was Ramos, which I think is fair. Cross was another standout for you. Um, I, I'd be here. I'd be curious to know you kind of just verbalize those, but also to hear what what OM had as the standouts. Um, I
5: mean. I kind of feel the same as you, Keon. Um I would add Marcelo in the first half. I thought his passing and combination play was was really crisp. Um, I I was really impressed with what Benzema did being involved in the goal. Just more of the low key things that you know people get really mad at us about when we mention. Um, but yeah, Ramos just for you know. I just thought Ramos was really sharp in terms of, like, defensively, what he was doing, that interception, and obviously the goal. But I it was impressive to me. There's been a lot of talk about how I think, you know, Ramos is, like, the fittest player coming back or something. You know, maybe that was someone else, but I remember that being said about Ramos. And, you know, and just a lot of chatter about, oh, you know, Ramos is going to come back fit as hell. You know, he put on a couple amount of muscles, like... And it's like, okay, that's a lot of talk. Let's see how it is. And I thought Ramos just looked really sharp. So I, I really enjoyed this performance. Kroos had his moments, but you know, just comparing to his like past elite level, just looking, I mean, looking at the passing accuracy, but I also noted, noticed a couple passes that he just always makes that he didn't make to me. It's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll dock a couple of like, you know, mental points for that. Cause I, I, I know who you really are when you're at your best and you're a little rusty right now. But yeah, otherwise it was, it was players showing quality in particular moments, decisive moments, and then, you know, being really quiet because we secured the win within like 35 minutes. And, you know, we're like, okay, job's done.
4: Yeah, I think the only, I mean, only thing I would add on to that is I also thought um, Benzema was, was a bit of a standout. I think just how how he's able to evade, uh, defenders and hold them off mm. and just retain possession for Real Madrid and just those quick little touches. It, we can't un- just underestimate how valuable that is to the team. And it just allows the rest of the team to move forward, to breathe and to just get out from the press that Ibar was pushing, putting on on certain occasions. So I think uh, I like Benzema, especially in the first half, when I'm thinking back to most of these performances, I'm just it's thinking back to half, the first yeah. half. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, that's that's pretty much my my list as well. Courtois
5: had a rather unfortunate game, didn't he?
4: His distribution um, was awful. <laughs> it's awful.
5: Just one of his passes were like, if it was for the other, if he was playing for the other team, it was just pinpoint distribution right to the other player <laughs> yeah. inside our own box. And then he just got he got done. He like he got he got screwed over real hard with 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 that goal. Like I, I don't even know what happened there. Like it deflects off of the player, right? But then it arrives at Courtois, like, so slowly. And it's just almost like, you know, when when something happens so slowly, right? you like, okay, I know what's going to happen, but your mind is not really mm-hmm. engaged to do it until it's too late and it just goes through his legs. It kind of reminds me of, like, what was that goal? Like, Hento scoring that goal, like, in, was, was it, was it, was it? it Man Against Manchester United. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But that that was obviously a lot faster. I still had no idea what the goal was <laughs> there. But in this instance, it was like, yeah, it was just just a really unfortunate situation. After Kuroda like really overcame, what was it like a really tough eight or nine first games, where just everyone was all over him, and he he's been pretty good since then. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, not a huge deal. You know, what happened happened. It was a free goal. But I just thought, yeah, if I was to pick someone who just just didn't have his best day. You know, whether through bad luck or some of his own play, it was definitely Courtois.
4: Of his 13 long balls, he only completed three. So that, I mean, that kind of tells you. Yeah.
3: The save from uh, Esposito was pretty good, though. I mean, that's yeah, that the one, good. I guess, the yes. standout <laughs> moment. That was, um,
5: like, the best individual, like, moment from bar that actually made me stand... That was in the first half, right? Yeah. Second.
4: Was no, second half. Second. Second. That was
5: the second half. Yeah, where... I just thought, oh wow, that like kind of made me realize, okay, Abar actually going to try in the second half. But, yeah, that was that was probably Crystal's best moment.
3: Well, that sequence is is where I felt like it started to shift a little bit because leading up to that, that was the first time I actually felt Abar were actually doing something with purpose. Yeah. Um, and there was because was the lead up to that was a lot of nice passing move sequences, some dribbling, and Esposito just he dribbles into space, shoots it. Courtois makes a great save. On that ensuing corner, Sergei Enrique hits the crossbar. And then three minutes later is the goal, the free goal. Um, on one o- other one that won't show up on the stat sheet because it turned out to be offside, but Pedro Leon found himself wide open in the box in uh, just on on the right. And Courtois made a, a really good save point blank, but it, it ended up being offside, so it didn't matter. But that was another moment where I thought, oh, I might sneak a, a second one here. Um, but I think that was the closest they actually got. Um so obviously the reaction soured from
5: the fans after the second half, but like three one, generally positive. What do you think happens if A Bar get that second goal? Because it's it's not out of like like you were saying, right? Like it, it really could have happened. Like what what do you think we're we're like we're talking about now? A bar gets that second goal, like are we just having to like fight back like a tide of pessimism and trying to say like it's it's just the first game after three months, everyone just calm down? Or like maybe maybe there's the off chance that of people a little more understanding this time.
3: I don't think there would have been any sympathy because because <laughs> no. Barcelona destroyed Mallorca and that was yeah and then they would have just used that as the measuring stick of where we should have been at and um, I think if Abar scored a second I my hunch is that Real Madrid would have clicked into gear woke up and probably won 4-2 or, or something and and maybe double down a little bit. But at the same time, there are things that actually would worry me in that situation because, one, Marcelo looked like – I don't know what happened to him, but that's the other crazy thing, that we needed five subs. And even though I thought five subs was enough, it actually seemed like not enough because Marcelo needed a granola bar just like to continue or whatever it was we gave him. <laughs> um, and also, I didn't have much faith in Bale to do anything in this game. And the other one was – Vinicius was also just dribbling into people so I'm not sure if there would have been a clear answer to score and a fourth goal I don't know so that would have made me a little bit nervous actually well and
4: the thing that like surprised me I guess going back to kind of like squad selection and substitutions and all that and um, whether or not they score if they scored another goal is I mean we used all our subs and yes one was a or two or defenders but we didn't see an Isco. We didn't see Asensio. We didn't see James, Brahim, any of these guys. And, like, I don't know why in my head I thought, like, oh, these guys like Brahim and James will finally maybe get a chance to, to show themselves. But we have so many, like, our squad, it, we have so many players that Zidane's just going to trust the guys that have he's been rolling with. I don't think we're going to see much of James or Brahim. Uh, he did say after, in the press conference after the game that Mark he does count on Marco Asensio and he'll he'll have his moments but today was not 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 the day to get some minutes. I've,
5: I've given up complete hope on ever seeing Hamis Rodriguez. Play yeah, James it. is done. Brahim, been. I have hope. I, 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 I Brahim as well. Like I have a little more hope, but I'm thinking like a 30 minute cameo, like one time from now to the end of the season. Yeah. Like I just I just don't see it happening. My, even if they. Even if they say Zidane just for you will let you change every single player on the squad. <laughs> you know, he'll bring up players from Castilla and do something, man. I just ah oh, man, I just keep forgetting Hamas is part of the squad when I think it was Keon first brought up his name and I'm like, Jesus, he's still with us, like <laughs> what? Well
3: I, I I think I honestly do think everyone will get in. Like Isiko and Asensio will get minutes, I'm pretty sure of that. We just have so much football to be played in such a short amount of time. Five subs. I think they'll play. Out of all of them, though, I think Hamas will play the least. Um, and even, you know, I'm willing to almost bet that when Lucas Pazquez comes back, he's already ahead of Hamas in the, in the pecking order. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you guys something about this exact thing, lineups or something. I can't remember what it was. Um, oh, just with this whole discussion about, like, how many players we have. And, like, Matt went, went through all of them. I, I don't... We have to. We have to trim the fat once if we want to bring Odegaard back. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. It's like the, there's there's only so if if any of these players just not playing had any sense of ambition, any sense of pride, they they would just say, "Look, I I want to play. I'm not going to do that here." So they just want to go, and I can't picture. There's just too many good players. With the one exception, that's Lucas Vazquez, who I think will eternally say, just keep me in the squad. I don't care where I am in the pecking order. I'll just be here, and that's fine. I, mean, I, I totally respect that. But, again, if you want to free up space for Odegaard next year, it's not going to happen if you have this same squad heading into next season. So, um,
5: I think just Brahim at this point has to. Like, I just refuse to believe at this point that he – he isn't considering like a loan or something because at some point reality has to slap him in the face, right? And this isn't like necessarily about like his talent or whatever and he's not good. It's the simple fact that he was playing at Manchester City in the in the youth side and he said, I want to move because I want minutes and Pep Guardiola is not giving me enough chances. So he went to literally the only other team in the world that is just as stacked on the wings yeah. as Manchester City and got no time whatsoever and like at a certain point he has to be like, oh, right. Maybe I should go somewhere where I actually, you know, there's not as much competition. Like maybe I'm only competing against one person as opposed to like four other players, and that's to me an obvious place where you you trim it, right? Like you you loan out Brahim. I, I don't think it's necessary like to sell him off or anything. Let's see, let's still see what he's got. Um, you know, Bale. It's it's like the eternal question now of like whether we can offload him. But I think all of us at this point kind of understand that you know it's probably best for Real Madrid's interests, you know, to to offload him. But we'll see what Bale wants to do. But, like, at this point, like, you know, it's it's a very solid relationship and Bale also isn't necessarily performing. And then in terms of Lucas Vasquez, he will always want to stay. But I think that's one of those, like, harder, more difficult conversations you have, right? Like, look, we respect what you've done. You've been a part of this legendary team, um, but we're looking to the future now and it's, you know, we have to let you go sorry about that. It's, it's, you know, it's all business. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I think if, I think players appreciate it when you're up front, it's a kind of like shady behind the deal, send a text message saying, you know, that's it. We want you out rather than like a face-to-face conversation, like being honest, like, you know, I think you could take it. Um, and I, I think those, that's, that's what you have to do, right? When you're, when you're thinking about clearing the squad for the future, you got to make some of these tough decisions. Some of it will be easier, like a Brahim loan, some will be really hard, like Bale, trying to find someone to, like, take his wage. And then some will be like Lucas Vasquez, where you have a dedicated servant to the club who is, like, not put a foot wrong, never said anything wrong, low salary. But you have to say, you know,
4: we're looking towards the future now. So this is my theory on Brahim Diaz, because a, a marca put out an article the other day saying that he, again, does not want to leave this for next season, no matter what his role is. What? So, yeah, so... My theory is that he, and to your point, he left Manchester City, and we, the reason why he left Manchester City was because he wasn't playing. And yet he comes to Real Madrid. And so my theory is that he's just a massive Real Madrid fan. Like, he's as big a Real Madrid fan as us. And so he just enjoys being part of the atmosphere, enjoys watching the game. Like, that's the only reason why I could see this could see him wanting to stay. Uh, like, it just doesn't make sense at this point. And we had, we talk about this right wing position and think about how many players could fit. Like we all were like, Oh, we don't know who will start. It could be Isco, Asensio, Bale, Brahim, Rodrigo, Vinicius. Like that's six guys right there. Lucas Vazquez. And we seven. mentioned
5: Hazard as well.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have so many options for just one position. I mean, I think you're exactly right. You got to trim the fat. I mean, people raving about Kubo yesterday too. I mean, there's another one Add to the element. Odegaard can play there. So it's just like, we do, there does, this squad does need to be trimmed down and we do need to figure that, that right wing position especially out. Um, But yeah, no, it's just, it's just crazy.
3: (laughs) With regards to Brahim, it's like, um, I think people, we sometimes underestimate just, just thinking of this as a job, right? And, for footballers, profession it's their job. It's what they show up to. It's their equivalent of a nine to five. Obviously, um, subjectively more fun than a typical nine to five job. But um, you know, for us, it's like, would we do we would we rather work in the North Pole or would we rather work in Madrid? And it's like, you know, just that lifestyle I think matters to players sometimes just as much as playing time. The dangerous thing about thinking that way is that. You have to be really, really good to ultimately be at get to a stage where you can kind of choose where you want to live and where you want to work and who you want to play for. And Ibrahim is just not there yet, so he needs to play. He needs to build some kind of future for himself, and it's not going to be like this. So, I really, I really think he just does need to go on loan because it's he's a really good player. I think we've all seen that, right? Um, but he's just not going to play um, at this at this rate. What did you guys think of of Bale's performance?
4: I mean, I I mentioned earlier, I thought it was really, really disappointing. Um, nothing encouraging to take from it, at least for me. I mean, he didn't, he, it, it again looks like he's just got no desire, no sense of urgency, no sense of trying to earn and win his spot back and prove everybody wrong. It just kind of seems like he's going through the flow and he literally brought nothing to the game.
3: Uh, wait, um, hold your thoughts because I just remember we have a patron question about this, so let's let's. We can actually take that now uh, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, sounds good. Okay. Um, as always, if you listen to this, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. If you want access to our bonus content, including this Thursday's post-game show for the Valencia game, including this Tuesday's loan track with Matt and I, we have a lot of loanies to discuss, and um, another content and guaranteed responses to your questions, again, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Patron Brandon Stevens says, Bale's struggles, struggles over the last few years are no secret and they've been well documented on the pod. You talked about how in the league of small teams pack the box, so it's harder for him to get space to operate in those games. On the other hand, big games are usually more open and allow him to be more creative. You've also recently mentioned that even Bale's agent admits he's afraid of getting re-injured, so he's hesitant to go all out. I was watching the Spanish broadcast today and one of the commentators made the same point about Bale having chispasos, uh, in other words, sparks only during the big games. His theory for why, however, was sort of a hybrid of the aforementioned factors. Bale doesn't want to risk his body in games that he deems not as important, but it's worth the risk for him to do so against the Barcelonas and the Atleticos and in monumental Champions League fixtures. I definitely think there's a case to be made that the importance of the game factors into his hesitancy. I also think, though, that in addition to packing the box, smaller teams are sometimes more reckless physically because the games against giant clubs are their be-all, end-all. And I imagine this is a factor for him. What do you guys think?
5: So I think think it definitely plays into it, especially of late. Um, But I think this idea of one, the the lack of space to operate in. And so Bale just hasn't been able to necessarily... That and, like, needing to save his body means he can't do it as well. He can't really, like, give 100% against smaller teams, I think. Um, I mean, um, you know, I can't... Whoever, whoever either Keon, you didn't write down the name, but whoever um, uh, made this comment, they don't give, like, a timeline, right? But I think there's kind of, like, an insinuation or if it's not from this person, I think a lot of people kind of have this idea of this, like, this path, with Bale kind of going back to sixteen seventeen. I think I think this is relatively recent. I think this is like eighteen nineteen onwards because you know from fifteen sixteen to seventeen eighteen, I think Bale was actually pretty good. Fifteen sixteen obviously one of his best seasons ever, arguably his best. Sixteen seventeen, I think Bale was having a pretty good season until injury just you know, it cut his season short and that's when we shifted to the diamond. And seventeen eighteen I think one of the more underrated Bale seasons, he actually his second highest um goals scored in La Liga for a season at Real Madrid is actually the 17-18 season. I think there was a little bit of other factors that maybe explains why he ended up kind of like falling out towards the end of the season and becoming like more of someone that was inserted into big games like we saw in the Champions League final. I think part of that was even with Bale fit, Zidane wanted to keep going to a 4-4-2 or 4-4-2 diamond. Bale played striker quite a bit towards that end of the second part of the season and just affected his consistency. He's not as suited to that role, and, you know, Zidane kind of saw that and said, all right, you know, it's Ronaldo Benzema up top is the better solution with Isco as attacking midfielder, but otherwise, I thought he was having a pretty good season up until that point. But now, when we talk about 18-19 onwards, yeah, it's it's been quite a different story with Bale, and whether to pin, I don't know, I just, I mean, I don't know how, given the information we have, how how we like pin that down on specific factors like him trying to save himself, like him being hesitant, you know, part of it might just be down to natural decline, right? He's 30 years old, it's not like he has the level of fitness, and when I say fitness, I mean injury resistance to have like extreme level longevity, right, you know, if he's getting injured four or five times a season, right, that's going to affect your longevity over. So I think we very much are in the post-peak Bale era, and I think that just might be part of it as much as anything, you know, including this idea that Bale is scared to reinjure himself, which sounds like a reasonable fact to me. And the fact that at this point in time, it just seems like, you know, this relationship between Bale and Real Madrid, it's, you know, it's not been great ever since last summer when, you know, Zidane's like, I want you out. And then it was sort of repairing and, then, you know, Bale's agent has made comments and it's been back and forth, back and forth. And as Matt said, it just, you know, Bale's just not nearly as invested as you know, he was beforehand. So I think, I think it's all of that put together, but I, I do want to emphasize and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but in my opinion, this, this is more of a recent thing because up until seventeen eighteen, to me, I thought Bale had gotten over this, this, this like, um, this weakness of, of needing to play in a lot of space. I think fourteen fifteen is kind of when he worked that out and after that, you know, what was stopping him were, were injuries and, you know, specifically in the seventeen eighteen scenario, this this desire from Zidane to to go two up top, whether that be flat four four two or four four two diamond. I
3: I think the tight spaces thing and, and his ability there I I agree with I I think he took a turn in that in his second or third season at Real you kind of started to really notice that he's fine in tight spaces like it, and it kind of was a myth that he could he couldn't thrive in those situations obviously he thrives more in space as do many many footballers in the world um throughout history you you kind of want him in open water that's the ideal place to have him in but he's also he's also technically gifted to to thrive in tight spaces too i think his 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 um his issue is far deeper than whether the opponent gives him space or not. How many times have you seen in the last two years or so where he has so much space and he just doesn't exploit it? Like he doesn't make that run. He doesn't take the player on, He doesn't shoot from distance. Really unbelievably since that the final in Kiev where he scores the bicycle kick, literally like from that game on, we just haven't seen that him try to do any anything that is you know outlandish or ambitious or something that would would hold the standard of his, his elite f- physical athletic ability his talent it just he ha- we haven't seen that and i don't in all of these comments this was brandon who posted this i don't think any of these these points are off base at all i i agree with all of them i believe you know that the big game sparks thing I haven't. I hadn't really thought of until that point, but I totally. Mom? Not yet. I'm not done yet. I'll be up in a second. That was Luca's uh, yearly appearance <laughs> in the podcast. to say hi. <laughs> yeah, come say hi.
5: Let let him say what he thinks
3: about Bale. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hey, Luca. Hey, what do you think about Bale? He's gone. <laughs> that was the extent of his attention <laughs> um, So I think with him, it's 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 mental, and I totally believe in the idea of that he. Um, he does maybe preserve something to the bigger games. I mean, we haven't seen many great bail performances since Kiev, but, you know, maybe you think of some of the ones that have been good. The classical, this season, the camp, he was one of the best players on the field, so maybe there's something to that. But I totally believe with him that he, I can see the hesitancy in his movement. To bring it back full circle to today's performance, it was, again, uninspiring. There were a million discussions, including from us, and questions we were addressing before the game. Will they help Bale to not have fans on his back and no pressure today? I, you know, it just—I don't think he was particularly bad, but it was the same issue as always. It's just like pass passivity, um, and he had one really, really poor switch later in the game where it could have just been a routine pass to Vinicius, and he's usually money with those. So I don't—it's not. Sometimes it's just not that he's bad; it's just that he's not there, and so I don't know where his head is at.
4: I think I think you guys. Hit most of it. Um, I just, uh, I, you oh, you mentioned it earlier, how when we were talking about trimming the fat and the fact that Bale is probably a guy that should go at this point, but I don't think he's going to go, especially at this, in the current economic environment with COVID-19, I don't see any team wanting to pay Bale's wages uh, unless, yeah. unless they're willing to let him go for free. Um, and, a Chinese club is willing to come back in the fold. And if he's willing to do that, like that's the only thing I really see happening because otherwise who's going to pay a Gareth Bale wage, who's going to pay a Gareth Bale, even if it's 20 million or whatever it is at this point, a transfer fee, who's going to pay that combined package. I I just don't Mm -hmm. see it happening. And he, his agent who is just so vocal, Jonathan Barnett, just comes out time and time again saying, oh, he's happy in Madrid. He's not going anywhere. So I think it's just going to be more of the same. Uh, His contract runs till 2022 as well, I think.
5: So it's not yeah. like he's we can just, lo- I mean, what, we're going to let it run out for two years? Yeah, it's just, it's an obvious place to trim the fat, but there's not an obvious way to do it. And yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to see what happens.
3: The only, um, so, some people keep bringing this up, um, and Diego, the, my Churros Tactica's partner, obviously, he, he's, he often says that, you know, kind of. They're his version of, to him, and he, uh, to to him, the Barcelona's version of Bale is Coutinho. Obviously, not totally different because Bale actually contributed to a bunch of titles and is like, we'll go down as a, <laughs> as a legend, but but just like the current state of affairs are like, yeah, you know, big yeah. wages, kind of not what they used to be. Um, he says the saving grace, the savior for all of us will be Newcastle eventually when billionaires take over <laughs> and just take all the X stars off our hands. Um, you, that it, it even just kind of makes me sad to talk about Bill that way but you know that's kind of the reality of, uh, of where he's at yeah. um, alright question from our patron Brendan Alvarez he says hey guys what is the weirdest superstition that you've ever heard about a player and are there any superstitions that you guys may have like before you guys start writing or any other activities thanks
4: hmm. oh how about you take this one first <laughs> um, yeah I don't I'm not a superstitious
5: person um, I don't have any superstitions as as we know that really makes everyone who follows the Managing Madrid Twitter page really mad because I'll start <laughs> live tweeting about <laughs> Barcelona when another team is beating them and then Barcelona will come back and be like oh this is your fault because if you hadn't tweeted we, the the other team would still be winning and I never respect that because I don't believe in any of that and so yeah people people know that well but in terms of like the weirdest superstition I'm aware of is this Argentinian goalkeeper. Um, you know, I think it was the World Cup or something. He ended up like peeing on the field because uh, before penalty shootout, because he really needed to go but couldn't go. Um, and I'm just googling him now. His name's Sergio Goy Goyco Sergio Goicochea, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and he like he just I guess he just peed his pants or something or just peed <laughs> on the side and and they ended up winning and so after that he's like before every every penalty shootout I pissed on the field because you know that that <laughs> was <a complete laughs> <So> like yeah. <laughs> I, that I I'll, I'll be interested if you guys have something that's weird yeah I don't to- think
4: we could top that
5: yeah to <laughs> me that's the weirdest that I've ever heard of
3: <laughs> okay um superstitions. I don't. I don't really know. And part of me, it's weird. I, I. I think there's a lot of. Everyone has a routine. I don't know if routines counter superstitions, though. Right? Superstitions are more different than routines. Like. Would it count if you like you have the same routine every day before a game or before a podcast? I don't know if that's a superstition.
5: It's it's if you think it's essential to
3: yeah. like,
1: getting
5: the result you want. Mm. Like if, if to you, you associate like players have routines, but they never change that routine because they think if they do, they're going to lose. And it's like to the point where it's like the type of music they listen to. Like John Terry has like a million different things he he did before each game. And he was scared to ever change it because, you know, if it did, he was going to lose. So, I mean, yeah, so it has to be something somewhat uh, somewhat arbitrary routine that, like, to you is just absolutely associated with, like, the result in your mind.
3: The ones I can think of, there's a lot of, like, easy NBA ones with LeBron and the chalk, right? And, um, <laughs> I, think, I think other NBA players have done that. Uh, I remember growing up, this goes back all, all the way back to World Cup 98, when, uh, Laurent Blanc would kiss the, the ball of Fabian Barthez before and after every game. And uh, that was like an image that the broadcast would never let us forget about. Like it was just constantly replayed over and over again as he lifted the World Cup trophy. Uh, I'm sure there are superstitions. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of fuzzy about superstition and, and routine. Because <laughs> superstition to me is merely. Um, um, merely so the difference between a routine superstition would be routine might be science backed, right? A superstition is like totally just uh almost yeah. like this unreasonable hunch. Like for example, I truly believe with every every soul, every inch of my soul that somewhere in the universe something gets affected when I tweet um, when someone goes up against Barcelona, they score a goal against Barcelona and I tweet nice consolation goal from X Team I truly believe that is doing something in the universe to jinx Barcelona, <laughs> yeah. but that is not science back. So that's the difference to me between a routine and a superstition, right?
4: Yes. Yep. No, you're right. Uh, and for me, I'm trying to think of it. I remember you, you what, were actually
5: a player, right, at like college level. So like, if yeah.
4: You, oh yeah, what? I've seen some weird ones. Like, okay. uh, like one of my former teammates. Um, this is really weird. Like he would t- put his shoes on and like his cleats. He take him on tie him up and take him off like four times and then he would like spit into a trash can for like 20 (laughs) minutes before going out and onto the field and then another guy uh would put the you know some soccer socks now put they say like l for left foot and r for right foot he would always put the right on the left and the left on the right like that was his thing (laughs) um i didn't
3: know uh, that they were a thing it's right yeah, and left socks are a thing. That's completely. Yeah, the they have
4: that now. Yeah. Wait. Um, so
5: what, what? What's the? I don't understand. What's? How? How do you engineer it to be different? Like, it's
4: not different at all. Like that's why he could. You could put it either on. I don't know why they put it on there, but <laughs> there's no difference to it. Um, it's
3: kind of like with headphones when one is right and one is left. Is that true? Does it truly matter? Like the Beats ones, for example, the ones you put over your ear.
4: Yeah, I don't think it matters for those. I think the ones you actually put in your ears, like that it matters for, but Yeah. Um uh, I'm trying to think I remember Raul. Raul would always um touch touch the when he was walking out, he'd touch the field and then do a sign of the cross. And I remember he said that was a superstition for him. I'm trying to think of I other like Madrid players. I mean every the easy one is Ronaldo.
3: Every Christian Ronaldo. will do the cross and every yeah. Muslim will do the the kneeling one. Yeah. I feel like yeah, everyone Ronaldo does it. and
5: Bale do, like, that every time they walk out. First of all, I think Ronaldo has to be the last one to walk out. Oh,
4: yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Ronaldo and Bale, when they walk out, they do that, like, little, like, power sprint, standing, and then they do that, like, jump, I guess, to get themselves hyped up. And Ronaldo and Bale do that every single time when they walk out if they're part of the starting 11. Um, you know. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily, like, superstition for Bale in a sense, like, that just gets him, like, hyped or whatever, but I know Ronaldo he believes that he has to do that before every game or he just doesn't, like, you know, it just doesn't feel right to him.
3: Any any podcast uh, routines, superstitions you guys have before you start your podcast? Uh,
4: watching watching the games, you know. <laughs> <I'm talking> <laughs> trying to think. Uh, none, none for me. None for me. Matt,
5: you didn't have any as a player?
4: Um... Not really, like the only thing I did, but I didn't think it was like, it was to Keon's point, it's more like a routine. It's not like a superstition. It was just like I would do kind of what Bale and Ronaldo did before, like two jumps, like two jumps before the game started, just to like make sure my legs are fresh and loose.
3: How, how many hours in advance would you cut off food if you were, if you were playing that day?
4: Um, usually at
3: least two. Yeah. They always told us three at the minimum. And uh, I always find in general, actually not even just just necessarily related to football, even work. If I don't eat all day, I'm way more alert than if I were to eat. Eating just makes you sluggish. So I always tend to try to eat after I'm done my work. Like once I will like kind of finish my work for the day, I'm done my podcast, I'm done my writing. Then I will have a meal like later in the day. I'll have my first meal. Otherwise, like one bite, just triggers hunger and triggers sluggishness in me. So I can't eat. I can't eat until I'm done with my podcast and my and my work. Generally speaking,
4: you yeah, know, I'm with you on that. That uh, the lunch, anytime lunch hits that afternoon slump, that that's a real thing. <laughs>
3: um, Om, like Om, what time do you eat? Because what time do you usually wake up now? Like around. 1 2 p.m when I, when I, when
5: i when i can i try to wake up past 12 so on the weekends like yeah like screw that man i'm not especially without sports like like there's the tacon games were gone right so it's like i slept in as much as i had so lunch is my first meal even if i wake up early i never eat breakfast that's just something i've never done so lunch energizes me like i never have a moment where lunch makes me tired often like sometimes I'll just be lazy and I just won't eat lunch. And so I'll get to the point where like, I just need dinner. Like, you know, you get to the point where you haven't eaten to like, you, you start to feel like a little, like, and you start seeing those lights in your head a little bit, you know, you start feeling a little like feverish. Like, <laughs> I, I, I need some of I need some of that nutrition. Ohm gets
4: to the pass out point and then he's ready to eat. <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah. <laughs> like whenever I eat food like that, Nothing energizes me more than that. Um, and it's, it's not like I don't know how to cook. I don't have food or anything, man. I'm just I'm one of the laziest motherfuckers you'll ever find when it comes to cooking.
3: <laughs> just trying to think. Just checking doing do a quick scan on Patreon to see if any questions came in. I don't think they did. So,
5: I like how the last 20 minutes has not, had nothing to do with football whatsoever.
3: That's a stretch. I think it, the food discussion really came into being like uh, five, ten minutes ago, I think. Although, I don't know. Um, I guess I'll be back Tuesday and then, um, and then Thursday again for the post game show. So, uh, obviously stick around for, for part two coming up and then part three after for journalism corner, I'll, I'll, I'll have a segment up. Um, and then Matt and I will be back on Tuesday again, patreon.com slash management is where you need to go to get access to those shows and uh, now the, uh, the post-game midweek shows are going to start flying in and again that's only for Patreon you only get one free show per week that's this one, that's this RSS feed and to get access to the rest 3-4 bonus shows on the other RSS feed patreon.com slash managing Madrid gentlemen this was fun, enjoy doing the first post-game show in a few months with you guys and uh, many more to come, take care and hala Madrid hala, hala Madrid alright before we transition to Part two with Castilla Corner. Here is a quick shout out to all of our amazing ten dollar plus patrons as follows: Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Bellaccio, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Sabernakis, Christian Gonzalez, Ilian Zako, Willie Reed, Nick Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Sad Omar, Oluwapamimo, Ola Donjoy, Christian Toft, Charles Williams, Tark Sphere. Kunal Tilakar, Maren Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Urim James, Raghav Potluri, Jeff Thurston, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Pena Maridista, San Francisco Bay Area, Brennan Stevens, Catherine Fagundo, Rafael Servia, Karen Sherer, Sumanchu Singh, Brennan Powers, Nelson Masariego, Umar Mahadi, Rovi Tarjev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Varun, Ashik Bashar, AMB 6901, Faisal Hamdan, Alex Perez, Muxi Thangal, William Merchant, Sergio Arispe, Graham Gerrard, Alex Silvernail, Matan Baron, Kevin Rivera, Michael Cruchon, Zafar Charhuri, Keith Lisenby, Hassan Chaudhry, Tobias Arroyo Botcher, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, Fabian Moreno, Philip Hammer, thank you guys so much for your support. And without further ado, here is part two with Castilla Corner.
0: Hello everyone, welcome back. Castilla Corner here. The gang are here. It's one day as we are recording before uh, La Liga's return for Real Madrid against Ibar at the Di Stefano Stadium. Um, we're all very excited for that because it's it's very familiar for all of us. But um, what are your thoughts, boys, on that? The game? Do you think, it'll yeah. be, do you think the pod will be released before or after? Maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe we should say congratulations on
1: the win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our 7-0 <seven> win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I uh, um, you know
6: I'm just so excited to see uh Madrid playing at the Di Stefano. Uh, Eden Hazard, I mentioned it before. Hazard at the Di Stefano. Wow, that's going to be so great. So uh, and also Javier Hernandez has been called up. Who knows hmm. if he will get some playing time, but I, I to be honest, I watched a little bit of uh, Juventus against Milan and they were so poor. And we have to remember that uh, the game now is pretty much the first Preseason game, you know, because they have been away for so long. So it's like a preseason game, but without, but but it it counts, you know, <laughs> mm. because they are in preseason form. But it the, the points count, so you know,
0: yeah. What's um Chris? You're the history man. Has there ever been a competitive first team game? I know they had that opening game with uh, Zidane played and all that. But has there ever been an actual game that counts at the Stefano before? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I don't
1: think so. I can't remember or why it would be. I, I my my only my main concern is that the the mushy Spanish people that they've virtually added to the stadium uh, accept the norms and <laughs> don't sit in that <laughs> don't sit in that stand opposite the team. They where can. You can see. Yeah, they all have to sit behind the camera. That's where all the action happens. No, I, they sits should sits just leave there. it empty. though. It's such a small. There's stadium. a there's a fact there's a fact of history that I'd be interested in looking. In, into when was the last time people sat in those seats over there?
3: <laughs> yeah, oh.
1: <laughs> that's the hard-hitting
0: information that I want to know about. Some of the only times I've seen it full recently are for first-team training sessions. So probably then, but oh, but in oh a game, God. I don't even know how you get over there. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't know how you get over there either. Mm, I think you have to go around
6: the stadium. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh it's uh, by the way in Norway they have now allowed. Uh, 200 people to get into the stadiums. Mm. 200. So uh, let's see if that happens uh, eventually at, uh, in Spain as well. But the situation is worse there, I guess. So, But I don't th- I'm not sure if it's that long until they will let people into the games. It Do you think... Be- they-
1: do you think they kicked the old man out, or is he still sleeping?
6: Oh. Uh, there's this guy at the Stefano who is—he's so old. He must be like <laughs> seventy years old. <laughs> he must be like seventy. <laughs> and he runs around like a maniac when they score, and it's—it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm. But he is, yeah. He, <laughs> he lives he's kind of a special, a special guy. Yeah. Mm and he he's, what did he has like banners and like he's uh, got banners and badges
1: and yeah. a flag
6: yeah and he I, I wonder if he i wonder if he maybe that's his sam cuz has that in uh, like 50 it's... years when... <laughs> I, oh, I just imagine i just imagine this guy that. is going to first team games so i don't know yeah it's, but
1: it's... only he's in london and he's yeah. not in he's not anywhere near to the stuff maybe so for me He's in the pub celebrating, watching it on Real Madrid TV. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah,
6: yeah, yeah. No, Brilliant. I, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we've got a more of a spontaneous episode today. We have taken some of your points, your questions. We've also combined it with some of our own. As uh, Ruben said, Javi, San- uh, Javi Sanchez, we'll talk about him later. Javi Hernandez made the first team squad, as well as Diego El Chube, But he is that kind of shadow third keeper that we all hate. Um, so he was always going to make the team hopefully you would think in a normal game if no coronavirus happened no nothing and this was a normal game with for some reason extra subs Hernandez would actually have a chance of coming on if if the score was um pretty complimentary I don't know four nil just guessing um last 10 minutes he genuinely would have a big chance at at making a first team debut yeah
6: yeah oh oh if if there were the circumstances were normal yeah yeah. they're not here Yeah. yeah But, but uh now I think Zidane will prioritize giving minutes to, mm. you know, to just as many quite tight as well they need that win uh, and, and and every every squad player also needs minutes because nobody has had minutes everyone is super rusty i guess so but sure. Javier Hernandez it's interesting to look at the man of uh, hm we have Militao Ramos Varan so he he's behind them as a center back yeah yeah. So it's not totally impossible but
0: it w- it takes a lot for it to
6: happen. But I think. think
0: the aspect that it would be his debut may even push him ahead of I don't know someone Without? else who Yeah, may potentially um simply because it's it's uh, a special occasion rather than Militaire hasn't played that much I would say but rather than just a, another average game for, for another player. On oh, and,
6: and also it's, it's another at
1: left back as well. Well, he yeah. Yeah, not, yes. not really play well but he can play mm. in left back kind True. of inverted commas Wing, wing, yeah, now, I, was about to, crack.
6: I was about to say that uh, we have no backup for Carvajal uh, in the squad right now because we mm. send out Odriozola Sol on loan. And, uh, of course, um, Nacho is injured. So, uh, if Militao is the backup at right back, yeah. then Javier Hernandez could be the backup
0: at left back. He's actually a great player to have in the squad in, uh, in that sense. Well, do you think perhaps he won't play tomorrow? How oh. many games are left in La Liga? I, forgot. I genuinely <laughs> it's forgot. 11. Eleven, so a fair few games left. Do you think he would get? A, a, I don't know, a fair few appearances, and by the end of the season, if he played well, wow, um, well, what would happen with him?
6: Uh, I, I it depends on whether Sudan rates him, but I, I don't think he will hmm. play much, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't think there's many better opportunities he's going to get in this one because this is like one of the easier games we have left on the calendar, so to speak. Yes, true. I think he
0: would. Def. I really think he'll make his debut just in one of the eleven games. I don't know if he will be involved fully throughout. Um, but again, if he did manage in Chris, cool. he'd be flying next season. The sky would be the limit.
6: Mm. Uh, but he's, he's played, played the...
0: before, hasn't he? He's played Four. in the preseason, so I suppose like he I played that yeah a bit. lot of preseason. Games, yeah. He was terrible though. But he's the
6: only <laughs> he's the only Castilla player who has been called up apart from Altuve, right? Uh, who yes. is kind of a first team player anyway. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, he would be there. Um, um, it's a big squad and we I'm not sure how many can we 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 didn't uh, we didn't find out this before we started but we don't know how many players can actually end up sitting on the bench we know that there can be five like, subs
1: there's not that many seats so we're going to sit I did see at Sevilla they sat them in the the kind of you they, um, but, no but they seem to have sat up for like higher up as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like they generally have nice seats for players when they're injured or something. Yeah, yeah. But, well, and I, I mean, the Stefano doesn't. You're just gonna have to sit in the stands. But I mean, at, at the in Sevilla, there's there was players ready to play on on those benches. That's
0: interesting. <laughs> you can understand?
1: So I, obviously, obviously, it doesn't matter. On it doesn't matter. With the kind of subs bench on the pitch, you can. There's more players that are bea- available. Well, it sounds, to take it part sounds of like bats, there's definitely well.
3: more.
6: It's. I kind of now in the game. Uh, uh, Espanol had 12 players on the bench. They missed 12 players on the
1: bench. Yeah,
6: tw- 12 players on the bench. So I wow. guess right, that's the, the new rule. So yeah. it, it means that. How many? Yeah, so I guess it's a decent chance for having on this, but uh, you'll be on the bench at least, you would think? You will be on the bench. <laughs> I, <I'm>, yeah, could <laughs> let's see, but um, but it's going to be exciting to to watch them again, and I I'm really excited. Unfortunately, Castilla won't return, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they will start preseason, and and I we heard some talk that the UEFA um, youth league will continue. Mm, I haven't heard much about yeah.
1: this. Where did, what's going
6: on? I don't know. Uh, I, just, I just heard it. Did, have you? Do you know anything, Chris? You
1: you wait for having a meeting. I think on Tuesday and Wednesday or Wednesday and Thursday where they're going to discuss yeah. it. I uh, when when they suspended it initially, I kind of read it like it was it was off the table. It wasn't coming back. But um, apparently they are keen to get all UEFA competitions finished.
6: If if that happens, so we, that's our if, new uh, main so game. Right? I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> We, the first game is a away quarterfinal to Juventus. Oh, nice! Is, which would be fun, I suppose. Okay. I, uh, yeah, we kind of have a dodgy record. We usually get knocked out in the quarterfinals or the semis, so it'd be interesting to see how far we could get. But all what are these,
0: the uh, league games? They're wild, by the way. They're ridiculous. Almost, it's like uh, six <laughs> three was the one I went to watch live. It's just oh. everything happens. What are the rules age rules for the youth league? We've never been able to figure it out. Uh, okay, uh, all of PSG's like players said, were 17. Oh, okay. So, hmm, I don't know. I thought it I was think, I thought I was it was under under there's... 19. The team is the under 19s, but I think anyone who is under 19 can play for the the 19s. But can players you over 19 Mm, or maybe if you were 19, Miguel I think it's the 20, trade. potentially, yeah, but not higher than that. Okay,
2: yeah.
0: Mm. I but... think
1: it's under 23s. No, oh. no, no way, I don't believe it. Too old? No, no? yeah, there's no way. Maybe under, maybe under 20s, I don't know.
0: I think, well, I only go by the English, the English teams that compete because it is just their 19 sides. Okay. Um, and Obviously, for for Real Madrid, Danny Piotas is uh juvenile A team. <laughs>
1: But that last bow, there yes. <laughs> if he's here. He might not even be there. Oh my god! I mm. didn't think of oh. that. So that'd be real panic if things work <sighs> out that way. Oof. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they will just send yeah.
6: Raúl down. And I I, remember, I wonder how, if they can they send more Casilla players down than normally. I guess they probably would. Maybe I don't know.
0: I think all the ones that would normally be featured would definitely go, and maybe yeah. even playing full time. Mm. Um. Um, potentially more if you could. They have to be registered. That's all I do know. Um yeah. for instance I know that Martin Odegaard was never registered. Hafera yeah. Valverde was registered. Um they just kinda of do it sometimes and then sometimes not forever play. I don't know why.
6: Okay. So that means so if they're registered it's quite easy to find out. But I, I would just yeah, I, so, yeah. I
1: think it's not, not something they do before. Each match day. And even I'd even if they don't, I imagine they're going to have to re-register the players again. They might they have to try something. Because
0: yeah,
6: they know probably
1: it. have to expand the squad.
6: Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going through the list now. Okay, so for example, Antonio Blanco is there. Marvin Park. Baez. Um, uh, well, so there. Jordi. Mm. So they, and there are a lot of players from the under-19s. Mostly under-19s. Pablo is there. Nice. Uh, Sass, uh, Andre Goodjohnson is there. Um, <laughs> and uh, Cesar is there so it seems oh, cool. I don't think the only player who has turned 20 as I see is Baeza so I think it's like an under twenty nineteen thing here yeah mm.
0: so but that will be exciting let's, uh, let's hope it happens at least Real Madrid have never won one as well so it could be no? could never won one nope. not many teams have because it's a new it's pretty new
6: okay
0: Barcelona have won one Chelsea have won a couple and oh. Red Bull Salzburg have won one I think
1: uh-huh. Port or of uh, two, or they got yes. to the final. I think you're right, or something like that. Yeah. Chelsea are pretty handy at it, but I'm not sure where yes. they are this year. Uh, so, going
0: hmm. It'll be good. It'll be a good little uh, addition to that small trophy cabinet in that corridor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Make it yeah, No
1: one was expecting a comprehensive UEFA Ute League uh, preview <laughs> from this podcast. I wasn't. No, I'm, very, I'm, I'm very surprised. <laughs> I enjoyed it, though. Yeah. Nice. So, um, any other
0: fresh news on hand? Javi Sanchez. Yeah. Um, as
1: the, I other said, is, the other one is the other one we discussed thoroughly uh, in the last <laughs> podcast, which is. But we'll get to that. I think Javi Sanchez moving to Real Valladolid is the surprise. Mm. It was a surprise it, for me because I discovered he's played one game in the Copa del Rey <laughs> all season. How many did you think and he now? Ha. Huh? I I, I thought he might play? Play. I thought he I didn't think he'd started, but I thought he had played some minutes, but That's apparently he has not There's played 20. anything outside of ninety minutes so that he out, played in the how Cup. How many though. players?
0: How many players did they send over like uh four Six? or three or something?
1: <laughs> one <laughs> game something between dumb.
0: all of them. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but is it
1: official? <laughs> official, no, but it's looking quite likely because yeah. their their starting centre back seems to be on the move to Germany. I can't remember what a club. It's a Lima. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's sounding pretty solid. I, and also, I always kind of, I don't know, I, I'm, I think you've told me off for doing this, but I always take <laughs> the the young players' rumours a little bit more seriously when they come out because I just don't know why anyone would be arsed to make up a rumour about Javi Sanchez moving to Real Valladolid.
6: Sam doesn't agree with that, but uh, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I, was, I, mean, yeah you... I knew someone had
1: told me off
0: for it. You get, um, they're offering, what, €5 million, euros, if that is the case, reportedly. Um, I, if I'm Real Madrid, I'm banning them from everything, though. It's ridiculous. Um, but but I guess, in their case, they, they'll take the €5 million and run with it, it's with the buyback clause especially. There's um, no chips on the table when it comes to Javi Sanchez. They take with, their money uh, and they'll um, go. With Saliba as well, he, he's going to Arsenal. Um, so that leaves a space for Javi. And you think if a club post-coronavirus are playing 5 million euros mm. he's probably gonna play you'd hope
6: i mean if i were him i would be super skeptical of everything badly mm. told me because they've been dream- <laughs> they, they must have been lying him straight up in the face because you know he's he hasn't played anything and now he's signing for them it's it's a
1: weird yeah. move it's bizarre the and, only time the, the only time. time- the only time Real Valladolid played Javi Sanchez was at the contract negotiations.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 to, I mean, Real Madrid had to cancel two loan deals. Was it two or three they had to cancel?
1: It was yeah, silly. And, we, and that was when the, the, the um, rumours about the loan department started as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. <laughs>
6: but, uh, I mean, if he can get some minutes, if he is the new starting centre-back... That's good news for him, but uh, it, I don't know, it seems like um, and some people I've talked to also say it's crazy that deliver, are willing to pay 4 or 5 million for someone who hasn't played a minute for them no. in mean, La Liga, I mean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Although his fact. record, that first team track record is still very strong for any team. Yeah, yeah, and that's his
1: record as well. Yeah, I'm very yeah, excited. Yeah. He's the type of player I'd squeeze into my schedule if he played consistently. I quite like yeah. him. So, yeah. uh, I'm quite mm. excited to see what how that turned out.
6: How old is he now? How is? Oh,
1: testimony? Twenty-two. 22. Man.
6: Yeah. yeah. yeah 23. He's twenty-three. In he was in March. He turned twenty-three. So. so much day. But uh, okay, so for Andre I think four or five million is good to get for. I think it's actually surprising when I think about it. Twenty-three years old hasn't played. Uh, five million is best-case scenario for Andre, especially if we
0: get a buyback clause. I mean, that's I what would you would value it now. I don't know.
6: Yeah, I
0: don't a know. Player who he's played I, three I, of first team games,
1: scored a goal, I impressed. Think yeah, probably, I think his value is much lower. I think it's about two or three million. So that's good. That's good business there. Mm. For but sure.
6: You, you rate him, Sam?
1: I re- heavily
0: rate him. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, a season he has been injured at some point, and then he's obviously played one game away from that. It, it, it's. A, I mean, if we started all season, we would all have a very, very different view of him. Including myself, would probably be rating him a lot higher, but. Yeah, mm. it's been. I would still rate him very highly.
1: Yeah,
6: I don't know. So uh,
1: would I. It's just that I don't think in these circumstances that he's worth point two million. I do buyback clause about, via
0: the Leeds finances? It, it seems like quite a lot of money for them to to uh, to give out after all of this has happened.
6: And, and the thing is, if we get a buyback clause, uh, I usually have the impression that if you pay four or five million and there is a buyback clause, it means that the buyer actually was worth. Six, seven, eight, maybe. Or that's you true, know. yeah.
1: But that means they'll get yeah, the that thing back. Thing um, is, but... the thing is, is that they also, if he plays well, they lose. They're going to lose the opportunity to sell him because no doubt, if major money comes in, Real Madrid will buy him back and sell him yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. they've <laughs> done that before, haven't they? <laughs> they did it with Omar <laughs> Mascarat, didn't they? They bought him back and sold him on. Most, I'm pretty sure they did. it. Hermoso, Hermoso, no, Hermoso, I mean they did. Yeah, no, yeah, are, yeah. On, Sorry, I can only come up with the obscure case, but Hermoso is definitely the obvious one. We the... get bored
0: back. No, Hermoso,
6: we we own 50% of Hermoso, so we got 50% of the... but did didn't they uh, did they end up paying something for him? Or I don't know, but I think Roundwood owned 50% of him, so that was a weird case, but but Roundwood have paid have gained a lot from these deals all the way back to Alvaro Negredo. Who mm. was playing so well for Almeria. We just signed him to sell him for, to Sevilla or something. So it's a, this is a super deal for Real Madrid. I think Javier Hernandez, you know, best case, he becomes, he gets a surprise call up to Spain or something. And worst case, we just take the five million and he's, he's gone and he plays zero minutes for Real Madrid for the rest of his life. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I hope not.
1: No, I really don't want that to happen. That's no, no. quite heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. It's... Well, for Real Madrid, it's another player, another league of player, and the stats for the academy uh, <laughs> output.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm. So it works in both the ways. And the stats are all that matter, doesn't that? Yeah. It? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Love it. Nice.
0: So apart from that, Arbeloa officially got that role, and then I think in terms of
1: news, that could be it. What role has Arbeloa got? Infantile so he's going to manage the apparently the most talented division or the most talented group of players in the academy currently and what age are uh, they they're currently they're infantile b so, uh, but next season they'll be a which is i think under 14s oh it's quite which high is it? miles and miles away they they have um what's his name they have the highest active goal score in the in the academy right now
6: yeah, I saw someone I saying that it was. It someone said it was considered uh, one of the most promising sites in the whole cantera. So
1: yeah, mm. uh, I've seen people who say that there's been a more talented, uh, more talented age groups, but one way or another, it's they're quite highly rated, and he's been. Given the that group of people, so it it's sounds that, like that the exact be role the exact role you should give an
0: inexperienced manager is the, uh, <laughs> the best. <laughs>
1: That's worked out so far, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we had we had we had someone comment that uh, that uh, we, they understood our skepticism, but supposedly he was quite a good player for young. he was a good he was good with the young players when he was in the senior squad. That was you, so, I was looking for exactly
6: mean? that comment. Yeah.
1: What do you mean? I'm going to read it now. Oh, uh, uh, here it is. Apparently, he was hugely influential to younger players in the dressing room. A lot in common Irrelevant. with Sergio Ramos. Now. taught them how to work. I he showed up. You... <laughs> you, no matter what I was going to say, you weren't going to be happy, were you? <laughs>
0: what, what does that mean? He said hi and made them a tea in the morning. It, very different role <laughs> being a player to a manager. <laughs> uh, it's not it's what... Higher. <laughs> but
6: but Sam, do you Sam do you dislike our blow or is it uh, anything? Special no, he was or... he
0: was okay. I don't. He certainly wasn't anything special. I don't think. But he he was all right. Um, just oh uh, yeah, very uh, skeptic. I'm always going to be skeptic towards players rushing into certain roles. Okay, so it's it's more about that than it's about his personality. Yeah, no, he's fine. No, I, I, I obviously a lot of fans well, are quite divided with him, like and, him and the cashier stuff and the whatever. And yeah, but it's yeah, no uh, no problem there. What did you say, Chris?
1: I said a lot of people don't like him. I can't say he's my favorite person in the world, although I was <laughs> I, don't know. I was I can taking... take him or leave him. He's, he's uh, like we said last week. He's kind of uh, indictment of all our concerns, but former players getting coaching roles because you get the Raoul's and then you get the Arbeloa's. The Arbeloa yeah. is probably <laughs> going to be the best one of the lot, which is the terrible thing. But but yeah, uh, uh, so, I mean,
6: Arbaloa as a player was uh, so annoying because he was just oh, he was just almost you know he was he was just hang, hang on he was just managed to hang on for for the first team for many years it was it was just about <laughs> and it was just i think it was if he was just a little bit worse people would have said this guy is just not good enough i mean because he was quite slow <laughs> he was not good technically he didn't uh, make many goals or assists mm. he he was quite a mediocre player for uh, at real yeah. madrid standards
1: but it, he managed oh. just managed to hang on for all these years He's really taken that PK comment to heart, hasn't he? Remember that? when PK called him a training cone? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> oh, really, uh, really changed his perspective on everything.
6: And I got a great uh, farewell when he, he left. They he,
1: put he got his... a really nice send off, yeah. but I think that's because he left on his own terms.
6: Uh, yes, yeah, true. <laughs> but I, I've, I've been thinking about this that some players just stay at a club for many years, and it seems like people almost stop. Thinking is this guy really good enough, or he's just there? So let's just keep him there. But when Arbeloa left, did he he didn't even get games for West Ham. So he was
1: pretty <laughs> poor for West Ham. I think the thing I think what always uh, what always stood Arbeloa's favor was his personality. I mean, Arbeloa
6: went from playing sixty-six games for Liverpool, then one hundred fifty-three games for round rate, according to Wikipedia, but. And then he went to West Ham, played three games, and
0: retired. So, I mean, why? Yeah, we're we, we laying into
1: him. What a go against Atletico Madrid. I'm going to be on his side.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that
1: one was a good one, yeah. <laughs> and he has one of the greatest quotes in those, in uh, on. You know, the heart of such and such. What was What's it, Moondessner or something like that. He's one of the all-time oh, great yeah. quotes from a Real Madrid player.
0: Hmm. Okay.
6: Although right.
1: it's gotten a bit cringy now because everyone uses it at the... Nearest available avenue, but I mean, you still, oh, good. well, I can't remember it word for word. Okay. <laughs> no,
6: but he was, uh, and he was also, I, I see he played both for round C and round B. So, uh, or C, of course. So, but, uh, well, let's see how he does. I think
1: he has the potential that to be. To what? I said that might stand to him. He he has that experience. I don't yeah, know. I yeah, yeah. like yeah. I said. Generally, it's the ones that you don't expect from that surprise you. So you never know. He might end up being quite good. Yeah. But again, it's like we're we've hired him based on little or nothing. <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't
6: apparently. think anything
1: really changes that fact. Yeah. Uh,
6: so let's let's hope he does we well. But um, it is like it's... the best. I, I guess now that if there's if there's any if now that Raul is at Castilla uh, Arbeloa is the biggest name in the you know among the coaches in the um, youth teams so you know don't you think this will mean that Arbeloa is the one who is, will be prioritize the most when it comes to promotions
0: getting yeah, the under nineteenth
6: jobs most yeah. likely
0: which is a shame because you say he's the likely, biggest name funny. but in terms of the most experience as a coach he's at the bottom of the table it, in terms it, of his yeah. actual ability as a coach he could be at the bottom of the table i don't know could Maybe be at the bottom. top um yeah. but it wouldn't matter because the name the name thing would definitely take uh the front seat yeah so mm-hmm. let's see how it goes.
6: good luck to him but uh he has to convince us, as you can hear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Book
1: stops here.
0: <laughs> so, um, you took some questions on uh, Twitter on the Castilla Corner account. Has it reached two hundred followers yet?
1: It's nearly there. Six wow. away. Six away. Ooh. Yes, yeah. Follow I'm that. Very account. proud. <laughs> At Castilla Corner. I paid yes. big bucks for that. <laughs>
5: it's a
1: very um, long to use the name. You can read
0: out whichever questions you choose, mate, and we'll um. I guess we'll just react to them if you want.
1: Okay, let me have a look Uh I like this. I actually would like to hear your thoughts on this one because Mariano's a favourite. But so what was his name? Football season on Twitter has asked, Nice. Uh, was asking us our thoughts about Mariano's difficult second spell and Brahim Diaz's chances. Mm. Presumably with the first team, not with Castilla.
0: <laughs> well they're both they both have the exact same problem, um, with the fact that they're just not in anyone's plans at Real Madrid. Um mm. I guess Mariano when he was brought back was um pretty important towards the, the the plans. He got given that number seven, he was starting, he was scoring a couple goals Oof, in there. Yeah. Brahim Diaz was obviously never going to get a chance. And it was no, just so obvious. I'm not sure if that's
6: obvious because, oh, well, when they signed him, it seemed like a super mm. weird move because mm. he had only six months left on his contract and we signed him for free, over yeah. more than €20 million. Euros, so it was so weird. But uh, then Sidan Sarai- arrived. He didn't play anything mm. with Solari. But then Sidan arrived, and he actually got quite a few starts towards the end of the season. He scored yeah. a beautiful goal, I'm not sure, against Ryo Baikano or something. Um, and I thought that he would be a player who would get a you know, decent amount of opportunities this season. I don't know what's changed for Sidan since the last season when Brahim played lots. Maybe just that Rodrigo has arrived. Could be that's,
1: that's the reason. You'd so, have a lot of wingers to juggle with. Also a
6: sword, um, <laughs> so it's a decent uh, player. So. But
1: even, I mean, even with that, when we say that, I mean that just does that doesn't do much favors for his chances, does it? <laughs> I mean, none of those players are going anywhere any time quick, unless yeah, unless uh, I mean maybe he's probably the one who's got the got the shortest uh, career. Span here, and he's still got four years left, I'd say, in him before he has to think about leaving anywhere. Who's this? And then you, and then you, Hazard. So oh, yeah, you're yeah. kind of, so you kind of looking at Asensio, Rodrigo, Vinicius, and I don't know. I mean, Brahim's eyes maybe Asensio doesn't pan out, and then you have to hope that that happens three times, which doesn't seem likely. What I'm saying is he's just very, very far down the pecking order.
0: Mm, I, I completely and
1: agree. I just, I another, see. I think
0: another, yeah. Oh, I, I can't see. Have, go on, you go first.
1: I was just going to say another thing. He doesn't have against. He doesn't have going for him is that Zidane didn't buy him, which yeah. never doesn't really sit well with Zidane, Generally, I mean, obviously you get game well, time, but who was it? Lopetegui in charge when they bought him. Solari.
0: Solari like, I don't think Solari would have bought him. In all, honestly, I think one of those signings a, that would have been a club, club him. Mm. Yeah, like and I think, Fasora. and that's what's worrying because it's just a stockpiling move. It, it, I don't think he was ever really going to get many opportunities simply because as Chris said, he's so he's at the bottom of this pecking order. Um, and it, it, there's so many players in line that are ahead of him. I'm surprised he's even been in the first team this whole time. It's just such a strange move. Yeah. And uh, he went from uh, what's even more strange is that he went from Manchester
6: City, which is also a big, big club with Guardiola mm. and everything. Guardiola seemed great yeah. as well, but he, he went to he... Real Madrid. He went to Real Madrid, uh, but why? Because if <laughs> if you go to another club, it's to play, no? Because he was already at the big, at the big club. Yeah. So if he just wanted to stay at a big club, then he was at the big club. And if you want more minutes, mm. then you go to uh, Sevilla, I don't know. A, a,
1: yeah. And like yeah. Guardiola say they weren't renewing his contract because they couldn't play him. Yes, yeah. He didn't so, have yeah. a future in the first team. I don't know. That's. I, I mean, obviously, that's not just guardiola writing off his chances i suspect the player had something to say with that so it is a strange yeah. thing just uh to... but maybe he didn't expect to just be tossed into the first team and then forgotten about i thought well, maybe he was expecting like so many other so many players who moved to castilla to have gotten that move and used i'm glad it you brought castilla up because do you i he
0: definitely should have played it castilla at that point i think he was 18 he had played something like 15 first team senior yeah. games in his whole career which is something like 10% of what Martin Erdegaard, who was the same age, has played. Uh, he should have just played for Castilla. But yeah. at this point in time, he would have played over 100 senior games. He would have been in a far better position if he, if he um, was involved with Castilla. I don't know if it was his choice or his <laughs> choice. I don't know. No. I, I, I've, I've talked
6: about this before, of course. And I think this is a great example of a player who should just forget about the pride stuff and just, just play for Castilla. It's not a problem. And then just get off. What do you think up- now? Yeah, uh, not now. I oof, now now it will be too late because he's will be weird
1: one, is isn't he? Yeah, he'll
6: he'll be twenty-one. But well, there's in no August,
1: games so. on. That's the main issue for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't play now. <laughs> but but
6: I think he, I've Sorry. seen some uh, I've seen some talks of him, uh, some clubs wanting him in the in La Liga to give him a decent role. And but just Ibrahim wants to stay and prove himself. So, but I think these uh, last eleven games, if he doesn't get opportunities here, even he will realize that okay, it's best to get a loan
1: move. Mm. So was a lot like Mariano.
0: Yeah, we're talking of Mariano. He came in number seven, scored that goal against Roma, uh, scored a brace against Villarreal, played like a bit part under Lopetegui. So Dan comes in, and then game over, basically.
6: I think it's I think it's very easy to 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 um, explain Mariano's situation. He was brought in as a backup to Benzema. Mm. He could have gotten a lot of opportunities, but he was injured all the time. Yeah, and. Um, he he has scored at a brilliant rent when he rate when he has played, but mm-hmm. now that Sidan was brought in,
1: Sidan doesn't rate Mariano at all
6: uh, for some good reason. He although he,
1: enough yeah. that Zidane told him to leave in the summer and he didn't go. Exactly he had offers on the table. So I think it's that simple. He was brought in to have an important role.
6: Was injured. The manager who probably wanted him was sacked. The new manager didn't want him, and now he sticks to it. Just hoping that for a miracle, but you know, he, he did almost get a miracle when he jumped down in Classico in mm-hmm. um, to to get his goal after 10 seconds. So, I mean, he will, he is determined to succeed at Real Madrid and I love it. And I think we should give him more credit for this. Yeah. A, a player who is so de- determined to succeed at Real Madrid. We should, we should uh, embrace it and we should just, you know, praise him for it. But uh, let's see how it goes after this season.
0: The other day, you sent me uh, a direct message on Twitter. Leon, I don't know if it was Mariano's birthday or something. But for some reason, they posted some of his goals, his top 10 goals or something. Mm. Um, and the amount of kind of additions to that we would have had if he didn't join Madrid again would have been yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah. so it's a big shame in many, many ways. But again, I'm happy he's at the first team. It's, a, it's another Castilla player on paper, I guess, succeeding. Um, but I just wish he, he's good enough to have more opportunities than two games a season. That's not really good enough for him or anyone else.
6: I guess I guess from his point of view, I can actually understand it a little bit because if you leave Real Madrid, then then that's it. You don't get back to Real Madrid after a second time or a third time, actually. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. So so I guess he's thinking, okay, I play at Real Madrid now. If I don't make it, I just go to a club just a level down below, some mm. Europa League club or something. They will probably try to sign him, and he will do well, and he will have a decent career. But the upside to staying at Real Madrid is so huge that if it goes well, if Benzema gets injured and Jovic yeah. is uh, arrested or something, <laughs> and, uh, then may, then he is the star of Real Madrid. And it's if true. he
0: takes the opportunities, then that's uh, something crazy for him. So I can understand why, why he does. Yeah, that. and he's a player who can, he could score in any game in world football. And I think he's proven that. Castillo's um, record scorer in a, a single season. Scored in the Clasico, scored in all sorts of different games. Had a great season with Lyon. Um mm. Yeah, if if it, as you said if it went well for him he really could um show the world that he's quite a player. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's not just...
6: impossible but uh I think It never he has... happens though, does it? <laughs> you know with with the Jovic out now and the amount of subs uh as we mentioned talked about earlier, I think he has a good chance of getting actually some yeah, a decent amount of minutes. That'd be great. You know there will be games every three games, right? Oh. No, no, I think so, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty intense, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so so Benzema will have to rest, or if he doesn't get injured, I think there will be a lot of injuries, because Friandre really seemed to have been training super hard mm-hmm. to get prepared for this um, restart, and um, that means Benzema will either have to rest or he will get injured. So,
1: yeah. It would be yeah. a real snub with the situation and the fact that he five substitutes not to play him. And also, I think he, he this is a great time for him to prove his work, because he's coming back to a place where he played some of his best football as well.
6: We have to also uh, mention Mariano's amazing new beard.
1: <laughs> I have haven't seen, seen it. it. No, no? no?
6: He looks so badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm there excited. we are.
1: He has a cool new beard. He's going back to the Stefano where he scored a load of goals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and he want, he'll be desperate to prove himself. So, yeah. uh, I definitely think he should be something... He's an he's, uh, energy that we should be taking advantage of in these last eleven games.
0: Yes. You wrote about it to be fair. How cool is it that all of these Castilla players are coming back to the uh to their roots yeah. basically you said that's it, I think it was... that's so cool. Ah oh, brilliant. And they, right.
1: they all feel quite strongly about the whole uh Have they the stadium it, they? and the whole seasons. Yeah, I mean Nacho said that if he could keep one season from his entire career the promotion season would be the oh, one yeah. he had to keep. He was walking so... it,
0: that's why he walked it and looked like the best centre back of all time.
1: <laughs> so I do, yeah. I think that I think that sort of mental stuff plays a role, and then you have Zidane as well, who fully understand where they're coming from because he'll have mm. similar. He'll he's he's doing the full circle as well, so to speak, because he's coming back as well. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a, a an unspoken. It might be an unspoken about advantage if things go well. If things mm. don't go well, then it was a terrible idea, and we should never have done it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that here first <laughs> yes <laughs> okay right uh we have done this question before but i'm gonna ask it anyways because i respect the fans you know <laughs> so shabby Alonso's 11 12 home go- i'm gonna have to read out the acts because this is just oh that's clever this that uh, is brand new- brannulaire like billionaire but bran at the start yeah, yeah yeah that's a good one which is clever i like that uh, he says, not sure if you guys have done this before, but a general reintroduction of yourselves. When and why did you start to follow Madrid? Do you guys have any teams to support back home? Thanks. I think you are the only
6: one who has done this properly, Chris. I think Sam, you say you've done it as well, but it's not a problem to do a little repeat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So who, who wants to start? <laughs> no All
0: one?
6: Well, I... No, I've
0: done no. this before. <laughs> I, have done I haven't heard before. your story, Reuben.
1: I have not heard it. I don't I've know. forgotten. It, I'm afraid uh, if he has said it. But basically, I was I got into football because of Iker Casillas at the 2010 World Cup, mm. and then I followed international football for about two or three years. Who, if anyone out there is Irish, understands what horrific thing is to do to yourself to watch the Irish national team on a regular <laughs> basis. So I, I definitely. I <laughs> definitely come came a point where I was like, Okay, maybe I would be interested in getting into club football and actually when I came to that I decided that Casillas' is club was the team I was gonna be was gonna support. So yeah. Real Madrid was the team for me. And I haven't said I don't know how many times I've said this before, but the first televised game I watched of Real Madrid was that game we lost four one to Borussia Dortmund.
6: Oh, that's a, yeah. Okay, it was a rough introduction. Lewandowski, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I like it though. I think it's a great, great uh, origin story. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it was almost a comeback in the next game. So it was. Yeah, I watched that one as well. I
6: was very yeah. angry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, I actually got into football quite late, or relatively late. All my friends started following football when they were like five, six. I had no interest in football until I was around 11. And then I was playing FIFA at my cousin's house. And uh, yeah, they that. said, they forced me to play. They said, you know, come on, you got to play FIFA. I didn't want to, but they <laughs> said, and I just said, okay, let's, let's do it. And I asked what team and they asked, of what players do you know? Do you know of any players at all? And I said, ah, I know about Beckham, Raul, Sidan, Roberto Carlos, and all the players I listed were playing at Real Madrid, so it was quite an easy decision. <laughs> um, and there, from there, I just, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but it just the interest gradually got bigger and bigger, and uh, quite quickly I was uh, super interested and I was uh, following every game. So uh, that's kind of a um, good reminder for me when you know it's so easy to criticize people who jump on a bandwagon because, oh, it's just because of the stars or because of the fame or the success. But that's what happened to me. I mean, it's quite natural for a young kid to to start following a team because of that, I think. So,
1: yeah. at yeah. mm. you now.
6: <laughs> yes,
1: exactly.
6: So, I mean, that's uh, been quite important for how my life turned out, actually. So, um, I mean, I wonder how... What kind of a person I would have been if I never started following football? Why, how would I be feeling my time? I, I mean,
0: no to FIFA. If you said no to FIFA that yes. one time?
6: Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> rough, man.
6: Mm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to, to say this on the podcast, but uh, <laughs> just to give you a little picture of uh, what kind of a kid I was, before I started following football, I was actually going to um, drawing school. How do you say it? <laughs> oh, oh, my
1: God, that's cool. Yeah. So,
6: drawing Artsable. i don't know i don't know if that's the right word but i was uh, an extremely talented kid when it comes to drawing i could draw right. very well so that's the right that, word right draw i yeah. think so yeah yeah, yeah to draw stuff yeah yeah can you still do it i'm i'm decent <laughs> but i've lost <laughs> a little bit of my edge but uh flair yeah the, yeah <laughs> but it's um i have good imagination so i was extremely good at um, drawing donald duck <laughs>
2: Oh, wow,
6: <laughs> that was my specialty. Um, wow. But yeah, so it's it's weird to to think about these these small things in life which can change your whole life. And for me now, I do so much round rid stuff, and it's um, it's difficult to imagine a life without Roundred, actually yeah even do a podcast on the second team i mean it's crazy
0: <laughs> <Once> <laughs> and give us that all that old tale that you do it's actually bizarrely close as everything is to reuben's story because all the kids love football again if your parents love it you love it you get into it very early um but i just skipped all that i just preferred to play spider-man and stuff like, <laughs> and draw and do stuff like that a lot like reuben just do everything else as a kid um, and then i don 't even know why I think I was just peer pressured or something by friends who support Liverpool Man United teams like that and um I just said right if i 'm going to like a team i 'll support um i 'll support the team that the only football player I know plays for, and everybody knew him back then because he was he was an icon for every English kid and around the world, I guess David Beckham played at Madrid um didn't even know how to say their name for a long time (laughs) it's not it's not the most English kind of phrase so I I just said I support them forgot their name all the time (laughs) I don't know if you remember back then but obviously the the internet was pretty basic yes I can get any Real Madrid product I want at the the click of a button at the moment back then it was so difficult there was like one football shop where I live um and my mum managed to get one Real Madrid shirt that was like the Siemens one. It was awesome.
6: Yeah.
4: <laughs> and I just wore that. It, yeah. yeah, literally.
0: Yeah, and I wore that everywhere I went. And I grew my hair like Raul. <laughs> um, and I got really oh obsessed with it. Yeah, it was just really. Imagine me with like this long. And Raul had this. I, I only saw him that. when he played. When he played, and he had this wet look, and I thought that's awesome. So I used to like. <laughs> <laughs> that's commitment. Just disgraceful. Just disgraceful.
6: But <laughs> You you were quite good at uh, football. you so, showed me some clips of you playing. You were quite
0: good. I don't I know, don't know how there. I would have showed you, but uh, it was all right. Yeah, we got pretty good, and then we 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 made the local where I live. There is not really any football teams going, but there's a, like four or five good ones, and I played for two of the the good ones, the very good ones. Yeah. Um, so did you did you play
6: football before starting following football? So I didn't. No, I
0: literally did not play at all. I got into it, but there was um my lane was. Uh, really poor like no one looked after it at all so there's loads of puddles in it and I used to just get a ball and dribble them like they were Ah. defenders um which is interesting it's another uh, quality conversation to have because that without a coach I managed to make a a fairly good standard without any coaching whatsoever um so I wonder how what what the difference is between people who are fully coached I guess they went on to become pro and and I'm here talking about the second team around with Jordan the podcast. You know what I mean? I guess that, yeah. It. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah. it's an interesting conversation to have, the influence that, that coaches have. Yeah, um, it's true yeah.
6: because for me it was uh, much the same. I, I developed quite quickly. But I, I think I just got around... Because I was um, much faster than everyone else, so I think that. Was you have just...
0: to think we would have had to catch up. Players would have been yeah. playing for a good five years, and as a kid, five years is a lifetime away. So they would have had a hell of an advantage. Yeah, <laughs>
6: that, that's the thing. I, I think that's uh, that has a lot to do a lot to do with it. But um, tell you else? what,
0: watching Real Madrid, do you not think watching Ronaldo and that lot play football and, and just kind of imitating their movement, they must have helped us a lot. I don't know.
6: Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I can even see progress uh, within myself now just by watching Kroos and Modric, you know, they just how they receive the ball and, you know, how they, how they move and, you know, with and without it. So, but I was also uh, curious to ask, um, why did you start following Castilla? I mean, what was the
0: thing that for both of you? This is where our stories again mold together really weirdly because i just saw i've got i can't remember what fifa game was like 50 2006 um and i go on career mode and there's there's another real madrid on this game
6: yeah. and at first
0: i thought they did that on purpose because the goalkeeper was called Casilla oh. <laughs> and that was awfully like Casilla so i thought this isn't real they just they want me <laughs> to win the champions league from scratch with this team yeah. um so i follow them and i'd look at all their players um, and the first ever game I went to watch live was at the Emirates. It was like the opening. They do this preseason cup called the Emirates Cup. Yeah. That squad was filled with but castillo- I was actually disappointed at the time. <laughs> so was like, Where's the first team players? Danny Perejo scored the winner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was against Juve or something. Um. And but I, I followed these players and I was thinking, where are they coming from? And then I just got really into it. And that was around 2011 where I actually started thinking, oh wow. Um. And I watched them and they were just a complete. Identical match to the first team. They had this unbelievable attacking player who would carry the team, but they had such structure in their play, and they would just they would just blow teams away. So they won the league in two thousand eleven twelve, and I oh, that's it. I was hooked.
6: Yeah, and you've followed them since. So that's since. I think you, I don't think there are many people who have followed them followed them for as long and as closely as you have actually. So yeah, mm. I think that's why you're so uh, popular <laughs> on Twitter, for example. So, yeah, no. no. <laughs> what What about you, Chris? What Why? You I think he had mentioned it on the last pod that uh, you know, um you both like history and castilla. So do you like, you know, to go a little bit uh, uh you know, not similar to everyone else? I don't know. <laughs> uh
1: no. I think my well I think my, my interest in Castilla was because the the there were so many players coming up out of it. I think I started following them what was it? Was it seventeen eighteen or something like that? The end of seventeen eighteen, mm. and at that stage, you know, we had we had had a manager promoted from Castilla. We had plenty of players popping up up and around, yeah. and I kind of mm. I liked the idea of watching more Real Madrid. So mm. that yeah. was where my interest sparked. And I, I, I mean, I totally of this season in particular, I've enjoyed watching Castilla more than I would have enjoyed watching other La Liga teams. Like this, <laughs> the Seville derby uh, this week was. Uh, was like the first La Liga game I've in, I have th- watched, and I I can't even think it must have been months. I can't remember yeah. the last time I watched yeah. a La Liga game that wasn't hadn't didn't have something to do with Real Madrid. Mm. So I'm happy to. I was kind of I, you kind. Of, I'm kind of happy to commit my time to watching those teams more so than I would other matches. So yeah.
6: What what I what, what I love about, what I love about the Castilla I'm following like other round Madrid teams is that you have more. Favorite teams than you would normally have, so it's like following. You, you root for the team as, in the same way as you do for your for Real Madrid. So it's uh, when I watch, you know, games where I'm neutral. Now it's so much more boring because you don't. You <laughs> know, when when I watch uh, Real Madrid or when I watch Castilla, I mean, I have a t- I have an interest in one of yeah. the teams winning. I I know a lot, a lot about the players, and I I'm into this community of talking about Real Madrid and Castilla. So when I talk, you know, watch I watched Juventus Milan last night. Nobody in Norway cares about Italian football. No one of my friends watched the game. So when I go off, when I turn off the TV, it's like I've just watched it in a cave. And no, I'm,
2: you know,
1: (laughs) yeah, the Seville Derby, uh, whenever it was on. Like I I don't even. I think I said yesterday. I'm pretty certain wasn't. Was it yesterday at all? I can't remember. Like two I think, I think ago, it I think. might have been, it might yeah. be two days ago. Yeah. The days just blend in; it doesn't really matter anymore. <laughs> the time is, oh, it doesn't really matter anymore <laughs> this lockdown stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I was watching that game, and it was kind of just, it was kind of just twenty, what was it, twenty two people kicking a ball around with, in different uniforms. There wasn't really anything. I can't say I really get into the. It's
6: game something special with, about with other, yeah
1: rooting but for with, a team. yeah, but at, like baseline with watching D and teams is okay. That was a really crap match, but I got to see players that might play at Real Madrid in the future. Or and you know, and there has mm. been times this season where Castillo was actually more exciting to watch than the senior side, just because yeah. their their circumstances are so different. Mm. I don't. I mean, obviously, title race and a playoff race are, should be quite similar on paper, but in reality, they are just two different beasts altogether. Yeah. Uh, right. And the playoff race is. Like I said, it's quite exciting. It's, it's um, just the whole the whole uh, quality in the division compared to La Liga is much tighter. So yeah, there's just it, for me, it's currently I would prefer to watch a Madrid Ute team or a Castilla on a weekend than I would prefer to watch I don't know Sevilla versus Betis or Espanol versus Alaves or whatever, yeah. it which has is another, what I'm missing out on now.
6: It has another so. <laughs> relevance. Yeah, so yeah. Hmm. But um, I think we've talked enough about this one. Should we? Should we? We um... have
1: one question left, which is two questions. If everyone is is got the energy, yeah, if yeah got yeah. the enthusiasm for. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how invested is Real Madrid? Oh yeah, the, I should mention the name Citron One, who nice. I've seen around a lot. He he does a lot of commenting, a lot of like, and I respect that sort of engagement. <laughs> so shout out to him. Really, uh, he says, "How invested is Real?" In our opinion, and filling first team spots with Fabricate players, sometimes it seems they've rather buy than put work into development. Uh, Bavao developed a whole top quality first team from their academy, so I think there. Is, I mean, I'm, I think I know where he's coming from with the Bavao, uh comparison. But I would say that unless it was the 1980s, like Bavao didn't haven't actually developed a team that would ever play to yeah. The, the expectations at Real Madrid, in terms of how invested is the club filling the team with Fabrica players, pff, I don't know. I mean, in terms of, like, the guys who joined at eight years old and, you know, are, are come all the way through the U-Academy and stuff, I don't think there's any particular... uh um, focus on those people. I think what Real Madrid are doing is, is they have a lot of. They know they have a lot of talented youth players. They'll take the best of that lot, but they're mm. also know that they're kind of mixing it with buying um, talented youth players from abroad. Who are you know? I mean, there is an advantage there because you know, the likes of Rodrigo and Vinicius were playing in senior divisions outside of Europe. Which I mean, I know there's... A quality difference, but I still think that sort of experience is at that age is more valuable than a youth player who's come up from the uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, eight youth divisions and then played maybe a season or two in Segunda B and then has I come into the first team.
6: I think Real uh, we have to realize that Real is a cynical club, as uh, everyone else, because they I think they don't care as much. And I, they have certain um, rules they have to follow. I mean, Real Madrid has to have uh, like uh, x amount of uh, developed players from their own club from their own country. But I think uh, about promoting players, it's just about getting the best players. And if yeah. they're not good enough for the first team, then, for example, you rent it for forty million euros sale, Murata 70, or something crazy like that. You know, <laughs> that's also what you get. So. If you have a good youth academy, it's not only about filling the first team spots. Oh, that's that's good if it happens, but um, I think it's also about just uh, getting the money uh, which you can you, you yeah. can get, and it's also right. just a good business model to sign uh, young Spanish cheap players and see who who ends up
1: yeah. getting the best. No, yeah. It's clever, and I mean, I mean, we do talk. I mean, I know the kind of answer I give is kind of cynical, but at the same, there is a huge amount of investment that goes into Real Madrid's young players, the kind of that the, the fabrica players, even if they don't end up in the first team. I mean, they the players who are good enough to work at that in that system are presumed that they're going to play for the first team. It's in the future. Uh, and you know they they I mean you guys have been into the val de Bebas, you know <laughs> you know the sort of money and investment and pressure and all that that, that Real Madrid put on these young players <laughs> with the expectation that they're going to win trophies with one of the best teams in the world, so in that sense, yes, but I mean it's a game um it's a game where if you're wanting to win trophies you you can't really focus solely on. That model of player you have to buy, whereas yeah. Atletic Bilbao, and I've talked to Atletic Bilbao fans about this sort of stuff when I when I was more kind of La Liga focused. I talked to fans, and one of them, I, one of the quotes that always stands out to me from one of those interviews was someone who said they prefer when they prefer Atletic Bilbao to get relegated than to buy players uh, and stay in the top division. And that's yeah. that's the difference <laughs> here. Real Madrid are out here are wanting to win trophies, where there's for Atletico. The bow, I think it's sure they'd love to win trophies, but at the end of the day, as long as there's a constant stream of players that they've developed coming into the first team, or or players from the local region, they are happy with that, you know, and that that's yeah. what they take pride in. It's a, it's a difference in um, it's a difference in viewpoint and a difference in approach. Uh, I mean. Could Remdri? I, I think it's it? the same
6: it, for. I think it's the same for most clubs. Just develop. Yeah. Just do as good a job as you can on developing talents, recruiting yeah. young talents, and then let's just see how good they turn out to be. The ones who come up, if they are ready, they are ready.
1: Um, yeah, I, I mean, on paper, Madrid could definitely do like Babao have done and come yeah, out yeah. not 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 where any of the fans would expect us to be, but come out relatively decently. Yeah. yeah. You know, but like I said, it's a a, a very much a difference in viewpoint between the two clubs. And I think that I think at the end of the day, if Real Madrid want to be competitive season on season, they have to buy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've been very quiet through this, Sam.
0: Yeah, I guess. Well, if it's just a youth policy that Real Madrid have, I don't have a problem with it at all. Because as we all know, there was a time when they would have just shun youth completely and they would have gone for the, the biggest names in world football, no matter their age. Um, and that there was not that much success that came with that. And then when this shift did happen, again, largely due to Kosteer and the homegrown players that maybe not have played for the first team, but eventually went and got sold for, as uh, Ruben said, I think Morat went for 50 million or something like that. Loads of them went for a lot of money. I think that shift from that team and then a lot of those players integrating into the first team, La Decima, a few more trophies mm. around that, that really kind of changed the outlook that the whole club took. Um mm. So I don't really mind if it's a young player from the club or a young player from an external club. As long as that focus is there, I think it's really important.
1: Yeah. Mm. Well, the other part to this question is, I've read tempo controllers like Kroos and Shabby are one of the rarest types of players. Are there any Fabrica players like Sintes or Blanco that you think could evolve into great controllers? Is that what Camavinga's is for?
6: I mean, there are heavy rumours about Kav uh, It seems like Real Madrid are going after him. But we do have Blanco, as he mentions, uh, Sintes. Uh, I haven't watched as much as of Sintes. Um, but we also signed Murante from Villarreal.
2: Yeah.
6: So quite a few players in this position who can be considered as... Uh, it depends what you mean uh, by controllers. But I think they mm. are all good yeah. on the ball and good passers. So I don't
1: know if any of them have the ceiling of Kroos or Shabby. It's very hard to tell at this stage. Yeah, it's They're
6: not a very that hot hard to Yeah, but uh, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's so difficult to tell, and players develop uh, differently uh, at different pace. So, but I think we have in this position when it comes to like the deep lying playmaker position uh, at Castilla, it's just almost too good. It's we have to let go of one of these players. I think either Cintes Blanco or Murante will have to leave somewhere on loan or get sold uh, with buy-back clothes because we can't have all of them. I think all of them are good enough to play for Castilla, but mm-hmm. they play in the same position, the same role even. So yeah. uh, we have to do something there. But I think to to answer his question, I think we have at least three very promising ones uh, uh, in that position. But, um, you know, if Real Madrid want to buy Camavinga for 70 million euros, it's not so easy to get a chance.
0: Uh, yeah, I completely agree. It must be the rarest player, to be fair. To someone who can actually control the tempo of the, the way that your whole team plays. Uh, what I would that's... say early doors is that Castilla or the Academy probably don't actually have that player yet. I'd, I would say all three of the players mentioned have the potential to be that player. Morante, especially, by the way, um, I would say. Um, but it, I wouldn't say, as of yet, I wouldn't say you could identify anyone specifically. No.
6: But that's the, that's that's why the uh, a big money for task.
1: Them. Yeah. Mm. Really tough because they don't come around that often. That's uh, true. And uh, right. guest, what do you say? Oh, no, I don't was, know. I was just thinking it's um, that's we're approaching our yeah, that's that <laughs> nearly. What were you going to say, Ruben? You have a do you have a good note to finish it on.
6: No, but it's just uh, maybe we don't need a controller. I mean, maybe mm. we've had both Modric and Kroos. Maybe it's time to try something new. I mean, it's yeah. not like we've had a very We've been relying a lot on our midfield for a lot of years, but Real Madrid uh, traditionally have not been. I don't know. It's it's a tough thing to say that we haven't prioritized midfield, but it's often been the wingers, the strikers, and we've survived quite well on that. I think um, the Real Madrid of Crows, Modric, and Isco it can be too much almost as well. I think if we get in someone like you know play Valverde play. Rainier, players who will be more dynamic to arrive in the box that could also be a great thing. So you don't. I'm not sure if you. I guess it's a great advantage to at least have one controller. But uh, I think Real Madrid have, uh, anyway, a great foundation for a midfield for many years to come.
1: It's quite interesting that kind of if you're going to go through the U Academy of midfielders, the like the strange different, like the strange difference between (laughs) you have Morante, you have. Uh, you have you know Blanco, all those, and then you have Baeza, you have Renier, which are and Arribas, who are just like completely different types of players in mid for us in midfield than Modric and Crosar. They're much more, uh, they're much more. Like I said, they're very productive players. Um, mm-hmm. So it, yeah, I, and you know the controllers we have are all based in deep midfield rather than where Modric and are which would be further off, which is also an interesting. Yeah, uh, thing to ponder how that might change how we approach games, so I don't know, there's have, options there
6: We also have Odegaard, let's not yeah. forget about that so we thing. have a lot of players, I don't think we have any reasons to be uh, to be worried, and if uh, none of those players, we have listed quite a few players now but if none of them succeed uh, then uh, we can always buy someone from the market, I also want <laughs> yeah. to just uh, just uh, towards the end now just mention that I think Fede Valverde maybe has gotten a little bit of a um, I think people have a not a wrong impression of him, but I don't think he has shown all of his qualities. Valverde, is, uh, I think many people look at him as a workhorse. He just runs up and down the pitch, box to box, a lot of energy, a lot of pace. But he also has a great... He's great at passing, he's a very smart player, great technically. So I think he can be... He played a lot very deep at Castilla. He can be a player who controls the tempo as well, if if you want him to be. depends what mm. kind of role you want to, to use him in. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Is that this week? I think so. I think so. Nice. Right, <laughs> next week. I definitely said this last part, but we'll do the uh, <laughs> um, historic numbers next week. We will. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> we need to get it done. It's easy for Chris, because I think he'll just pull out some sort of plus ultra fact that nobody knows, and that he'll be fine. <laughs> um, me and Ruben might actually have to do some Oof. research. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we'll find something interesting. We'll bring it together. We'll also talk around those stats because we can talk about Martin Erdogan for years. We can talk about. Uh, it'd be good to talk about the number seventy goals Roberto Soldado scored, which Ooh. is ridiculous. Yeah.
6: Um,
0: yeah. There's a lot to talk about around that. so we'll try and mm. do some sort of historic uh, record-breaking pod for all of the Castilla numbers, um, if we can, and maybe some interesting facts around that. Cool. Let's hope you, hope you yeah. guys uh, enjoyed this one. Um, I certainly did really good spontaneous one. I like um, the fact that we incorporated your questions. We haven't done that for a while. So hopefully we might, we might do one of them fully next time as well. Yeah. Um, cool. Apart from that, uh, thanks very much. We will see you later. I'm um, red.
1: Red.
3: All right, Journalism Corner. It's the third edition of this uh, new segment on the Managing Majority Podcast where I will go through and answer questions that you may have on journalism. Uh, The feedback on the first two have been really, really great. And as always, my emails are open, kian at kiansovani.com. If you have any specific things in this sphere you want me to address, I'd be more than happy to take a crack at it. Uh, Keep in mind that I get a lot of emails every day about journalism and people just kind of wanting advice it's impossible for me to to answer all those questions directly that's why i have a mentorship program for this uh, particular thing but also it's it's much easier for me to verbalize things on a podcast segment than it is for me to write back every single person and try to um give the right necessary nuance uh nuanced response to that question so this is a bit easier and this that's part of the reason why this segment has started so first segment was about expanding your comfort zone, doing uncomfortable things. Um, and segment number two um, was about asking the right questions or how to ask questions in a podcast. This is segment number three, and I'm going to read um, the question that came in. The question reads, I've always had an issue with the questions that reporters ask, or rather don't ask of the players. It's always either tactical about a goal or bait for a headline Um, i.e. drama motivated why aren't players more often asked about how they see and think about the game the thought process behind a certain killer pass why they dribble the way they do and not the other way i.e. questions about the stuff that wows us during a game that inspires us to me that is just as important as who the coaches are. sorry who the coach picked and why and certainly more important that than who plays golf or who doesn't but hey, maybe I'm just a purist who truly believes soccer to be the most beautiful game first and far- foremost. Well, you're not alone in feeling this way. Um, I think there are a lot of fans who, who have brought up this issue. I, I certainly feel strongly about what you just said. And it's it's a struggle for me too in many ways. Um, I I guess I would try to explain how it all works, first of all, before diving into why this is an issue. Um the main thing is that most of the people who are asking questions in press conferences, and they are the same handful of people, generally speaking, over the years. Um, when Zidane is the manager, there's two additional French journalists at the end of each pot- press conference who get to ask questions, and they kind of have the same ideas that they want to ask about every time. And um, the the handful of journalists are the ones who have kind of been in the circle for years and years and years. And the thing you have to realize with these with these things is that the people asking the questions don't come from a football background. They come from a journalist background. And this is why I always say that you know people ask me, like, should I take a journalism degree or should I take your mentorship program or should I do something else? Like, What's the path? And I always say the most important thing is not the journalism degree. It's about your knowledge and your experience in that particular field. Um, that's why you see the best kind of journalists, pundits, writers, analysts, podcasts, whatever – are always the ones who know about their field and not necessarily the ones who come from a journalistic background. A journalism degree is great for doing specific things in the journalism world, whether it's editing, whether it's filming, whether it's broadcasting certain things or knowing how to present yourself. Obviously that's important. I'm never going to take that away from, um, from aspiring journalists and people who have gone through it. It's, it's tremendously valuable. Don't get me wrong, but some of the most successful journalists out there are people who have never had journalism degrees and that's just, it goes without saying that you can be the greatest journalist but if you don't know what you're talking about then what's the point? And people are not going to take you seriously because you're not giving value to them um, apart from presenting yourself in a certain way. So, um, a lot of these journalists don't have that football background, right? So, um, and I think this is going to change um, quite a bit. I think it's going to take some time, but Diego and I talked extensively about this on a, on a recent Truders' Tactic House podcast about a month ago. I think it was one of the ones we did for our patrons. But So forgive me if some of this you've already heard, but I'll try to add some new twists to it. But either way, I think it's worth repeating and reminding, us, reminding ourselves about. Um, I'm going to take it back to a Kevin Durant quote, where last year around, around this same time, probably a little bit earlier in the year, um, this was around the time where Kevin Durant, you know, no one really knew what he was going to do with his future. His contract with, with Golden State was going to run out. Was he going to leave? Was he going to stay? What was he going to do? And literally every single press conference, every media scrum, everything was about what are you going to do? Are you going to stay? How does it affect the team? What is everyone thinking? Are, the, are you guys talking about this internally? And he, he just kind of popped, and I understandably so. I'm not a huge Kevin Durant fan, to be honest, but at the same time, I completely resonated with what he said in this moment and somebody asked him this for the umpteenth time and he said don't you guys want to talk about basketball like are you guys interested at all in the sport we're playing every single day and i totally like that really hit me hard and i feel like we need to do a better job as journalists as a whole and actually talking about really important things i think we all know going into every press conference what's going to be asked um, what did you think of bail doing this off the field uh, why didn't Isco play or not play? Why, yeah, I mean, that was a big theme under Solari anyway, not so much this year. Um, and just kind of like, why did you make this substitution and why didn't you make this substitution? It kind of gets repetitive. And I always resonate with Zidane when he looks a bit short tempered and short fused and just kind of disinterested and gives vague answers. I completely get it. I really do because, um, I, I, and, I don't, I, it's not that I want to bring myself into this too much, but I think there was that. I think you've all seen the clip where I asked Pep Guardiola a question about tactics, and you kind of see his face kind of just light up as I'm asking the question. He's like, Oh, I get to talk about tactics. Um, I want to see more and more of that, and I'm not attending every press conference, to be fair, and, I, and the ones I attend, I, I'm not always allowed to ask questions. You know, that's been changing a little bit, um, and it really depends on the game and the context, but. I think one of these thing one of the things that these Spanish tabloids have to consider is that the game is changing a little bit. Uh the journalism game that is. Um the reliance on tabloids, the importance of them, the value of them has diminished over time because they're not the only source of content now, right? Um there was a time where and not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, there was a time where The only way you could kind of get post-game quotes or kind of get an idea of what's going on and what what the rumors are are to actually go um, to the newsstand in Spain, pick up a copy of Marca or Astor or Munda or whoever, whoever is there, um, buy a copy and read it. That is like completely changed now. So now we have to really hold these tabloids accountable. Um, They will always be mouthpieces for the club. We know that Real Madrid puts out feelers and mark on asks, especially Marka, to say, like, you know, dict- um, put out polls to see if this player is popular or this player is not. They want to know those things. And those tabloids will have sources forever because of that. Although we know that the, by the time they report it and whatever happens transpires after that, we know that it can be accurate or not accurate. It's kind of hit or miss. Um, So they will always be relevant in that sense. But think of it this way generations will pass, a few generations from now, maybe sooner. Essentially, those magazine things, as much of a cultural thing they are now to go and buy one and go read your paper, get a coffee, get a churro, whatever, that's going to fade over time. And everything's going to shift online. And once you shift everything online, the competition is endless. Um, I'm telling you guys right now, the, the journalism game is already changing and it's going to continue to change. The younger generation that's coming up in the writing world, they're going to bring something so fresh to the table that we've never seen before. I truly believe that. We've already seen some of it. Some of our good friends at Statsbomb, some of the people who left the ringer and are now working for other places, Um, some of the people who are actually at Grantland who used to write about soccer, like people like Ryan O'Hanlon, people like Mike Goodman. These guys are brilliant writers uh, and have such a wide expertise in terms of analytics there's a lot of young up-and-coming writers, people you haven't heard about yet, people that you know, I've close friends with and have yet to really make a name for themselves, but I would trust their insight much more than a journalist. some of the journalists who have been around for decades, and that's the truth, because they're going to understand the game a little bit better. Um, we're going to completely go away from just reading match reports that are generic and don't tell us much new information um to actually moving in a direction where we're gonna actually be able to completely understand the game in a different game and I'm really excited about that. And I think it's gonna change. And so I don't I don't really know if this is this statement that we started the podcast off with from our patron is necessarily a question or not. And I'm not even sure if I'm providing an answer to it to be honest. But I just wanted to explain why it how it works and why it works this way. And that it's gonna change. I truly believe it's going to change because um, the average fan is far more intelligent than they've ever been. We have more democratized information, analytics, um, film replays, stats, just people analyzing game in certain ways. These master classes are amazing. Like you can you can, you can buy master classes now with Jose Mourinho, Xabi Alonso, um, Alvaro Benito, the former Real Madrid youth coach. These guys are all really really intelligent people who are actually giving us an insight onto how football tactics actually work and that wasn't a thing like 10 15 years ago i'm not even sure if it was a thing 5 years ago so uh, it's changing it will it will change it's going to get better i truly believe that kind of this oldest older generation who by the way this is not a knock on them i have tremendous respect for them i really do and they they a lot of these guys are pioneers but I'm I, all I'm saying is I'm really really excited about the future of football analytics, football analysis, um, and you know it's I, I really do enjoy the brief I really enjoyed the brief time that Jose Mourinho um, was on on TV. Arsene Wenger still doing it, I believe. Thierry Henry really brilliant to listen to, but again these guys are not sitting in press conferences. Asking questions. So that's the short answer to this. You're not getting the analysis people in the press conferences. You're getting some people in the room who are good at analyzing the game, but they might not ask questions. So that's part of the reason why we get the questions and we get the answers the way we do. Um, The other reason is that uh, I hate to admit it. I hate to say it. I hate to break it to all of you. But um, people really, really, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's biological or what, they resonate a lot with those those questions and answers because people want to know about Bale's drama and Bale's golf. As many people complain about, you know, why are you writing about this and why are you not writing a tactical piece? Well, the answer is because you, me, we, all of us, we it's like a drug for us. We need our hit of drama. And that's what we click on. And in turn, when you click on that, that's what feeds our families because that's what generates the money and revenue for us. Um a lot of people will complain like, hey, why didn't you have this tactical analysis up by this day? And instead, you're putting up these rumors and news. Well, guess what? Those rumors and news have actually is are kind of helping pay the bills. Now, I shouldn't generalize that across the board. I'm talking about Managing Madrid specifically. Managing Madrid has a lot of hits, millions of hits a month, a lot of podcast downloads. And a lot of that, a lot of the people who consume our content – they're extremely interested in the tactical analysis side of things and, and that kind of discussion and we get a lot of hits on those but relatively speaking the ratio is far far in favor of the drama pieces and that's where our like 20 80% of our revenue comes from that that side of the content that people complain about just so just an FYI while we collectively complain about it we also collectively consume it and get our hits off of it our our little psychological highs of 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 uh, drama and being able to criticize celebrities, we get high off of that for some reason. So don't ask me why, but it must be biological that we feel this way. But ultimately, that is also part of the reason why these these reporters ask these questions is because <laughs> is because we consume it and we, we gobble it up. So, um, yeah, just a little explanation of how it works and why it's this way, but also how encouraged I am about the direction it's headed in. So, yeah. Again, keanakianzubaien. dot com. If you want, uh, I guess, me to if you want me to cover any specific issue, and uh, if you want any specific journalism advice, I'd be happy to address it. And if you want actual mentorship, I I do that too. You can again email me and we'll we'll set up a call. All right. Thanks. Take care. Right.
2: Return to the Mac. Get up what it is, what it does, what it is, what it isn't. Looking for a better way to get up out of bed instead of getting on the internet and checking a new hitter. Get up. Fridge shot I'm struck walking. A little bit of humble. A little bit of conscious. Somewhere between like Rocky and Cosby. what a game. Nope, nope. Y'all can't copy Be bad moonwalking. And this here is' is a party. My posse's been on Broadway. And we did it all. way like, chrome music. I set my skin and put my bones into everything I record to it. And ain't going with my style. Money, stay on my craft and stick around for those pounds. But I do that to pass the torch and put on for my town. Trust me, on my I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Shit, husband. chasing dreams since I was 14 with the four-trap bus halfway cross that city with the back.